Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat. You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's la marvelous. Thank you, guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Friday, January 22nd, going full court press here. Uh, my name is Jake Luke. I'm joined by uh, three individuals on the screen uh, in the midst of just a raucous environment and atmosphere. And uh, of course, I'm going to throw it to the spark plug in the uh, the equation here, and that is Kyle P. Barber. How you doing, bud? How are you tonight, boys? <laughs> it's good. Things are good. We're happy. We're vibing. Things are going great. They're terrible for the Ravens. They lost. They're out of the playoffs. But... I'm in a great mood, I'm having some fun with some of my favorite men in the world here. I'll let you announce the rest of them, but we're having a good night. Let's have some fun tonight, guys. Yeah, peel back the curtain a little bit here. We uh, we always bullshit around a little bit before we start recording this. And uh, Kyle talked about how he had you know gin and tonic. He's feeling himself a little bit. He uh, got some good <laughs> news on uh, the graduation front. So he, he's buzzing right now. We did have some questions about what maybe was in that gin and tonic, uh, maybe partying with some of the characters of the hit HBO series Succession at some point, who could possibly say. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been a ride for him, and uh, this is going to be a fun episode, I can tell. Uh, joined by Vasily Lurikos as well, bringing in both the uh, HCD boys. How you doing there, bud? I'm good, brother. Can't complain. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. And of course, the, the beautiful maned man himself, it's Spencer Nathaniel Schultz, sporting some new uh, art there in the background of his, uh, his backdrop there. How you doing, bud? It's too teeny tiny. I'll have to rearrange. Getting, we're, getting, we're getting started. We got Kyle Ripken over here. He's ready to be mounted as usual. Cal, that dirty dog, literally. But uh, we're getting going. Kyle actually had some gin, absinthe, and tonics. <laughs> He's literally blind. Over here. <laughs> and you were telling me that you've been waiting to get mounted to for a while. So we'll probably get into that at some point uh, in the pod, of course. But uh, here we are. Uh, it is a Thursday night as we record, releasing this for a Friday. I wanted to bring the whole gang in together because you two gentlemen uh, approached me about doing a host chief, chief and deputy episode. And uh, I had the idea germinating in my mind uh, to do a show with Spenny where we recap 2020 look forward to 2021 
uh, and kind of approach it in the format of uh, what the corporate sl- slaves like myself like to call an offsite, where uh, every year, uh, right around this time, everyone goes to a uh, location, um, whether that's a vacation or whether it's you know somewhere in your area. You know, last year uh, I had the pleasure of going to the Maryland Live Casino uh, for a little bit of mine, uh, going to Woodbury Kitchen in Baltimore uh, for a little bit as well, which is a great dining experience. But uh, wanted to approach it from that perspective here uh, with a merging of our two pods and uh, getting perspective on 2020, looking forward to the 2021 offseason through all the corporate jargon, SWOT analysis, goals, what went wrong, what went right, uh, just all that kind of bullshit. I love it. So uh, we're bringing that approach tonight. Uh, but before we get into some news, how you guys doing? It's like the meeting of the minds, you know, like when everybody goes down to Bashadi's place in Florida. I think in that scenario, Kyle is Bashadi, Jake is Ozzy, uh, definitely Spenny's Harbaugh, and I'll, and I'll be DaCosta. I think that's a good... I will take being called Steve Bashadi every day of the week. Are you kidding me? That's the highest praise I've ever heard. Kyle's the Steve Bashadi. Living it up tonight, folks. You know, I gotta say, I've never seen Steve Ashadi act like you're acting right now, but it's probably <laughs> apropos for the uh, the setting that we're in. I bet after like three of the like 40, 50 year old scotches that he's got, and the highest quality Cubans even Ed Reed can't buy, Steve Bashadi may have a, have a woo in him once or twice. Let's be real here. Yeah, it's yeah. certainly possible. He. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, he's not on IG every week going live and hashtagging cigar things and like playing jazz music and like, you know, David Duchovny's just in the background. It's like, what's going on here? But right, he's too busy sleeping on a bed of money that could pay my student loans and he wouldn't notice it on his credit card statement. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Listen, we're the goal of this podcast is to get in touch with Steve Bashadi eventually to pay off your student loans. So I think we're off to a good start here. But uh, <laughs> what do you say we get into some news, fellas? It's going to be a little bit of an interesting format. Uh, with four of us here, where it's typically only around three at most, but uh, I'm excited. Let's do some news. What do you say? Deal. First bit that we have to touch on is uh, the end of an era, a very short era, but an impactful era, uh, one that uh, I think is uh, going to be looked back very fondly by Ravens fans, and that is the Mark Ingram era. It uh, came to the end the other day with the uh, running back's release. And, uh, you know, this is typically not something you would touch on a veteran running back kind of getting scattered to the wind a little bit later in his career after a year where he was not productive, but definitely wanted to touch on it with Mark because he was huge impact on the field, off the field. Uh, You had the players all signing jerseys for him and like sending them to him, leaving him little personalized notes. You had Eric DaCosta making a a statement on it, which you don't really see with this type of thing. I think it just goes to show the... uh, impact that Mark made uh, on this organization in a short time. I'm excited to see what's next for him. Spenny, what was your kind of uh, reaction to this whole thing? I was curious if they got that one out of the way quickly so that he might be able to join another team. I'm not sure exactly how that worked, but join for a playoff run, uh, maybe try and go get his first ring. Yeah, the Saints won the Super Bowl before he was there. Uh, Go see if he could maybe join a team and get a ring, something like that. It's, uh, you know, it was was time. I don't feel any type of way about it. in the sense of him, you know, being on the football field, but the personality that he brought, the leadership he brought. And uh, at this point, knowing that he's going to be on TV, he has a great podcast. He's an ultra uh, contributor to the NFL network, to good morning football, all that good stuff. So he has a bright future ahead of him in the booth or uh, on in front of the camera, all kinds of good stuff on the way for Mark. 
1,500-ish yards, 15 touchdowns last year uh, on a $5 million deal was incredible. He brought spark to that new Ravens era that we saw last year take over uh, in full force. So it was a great value signing for uh, what it was and getting the veteran leadership to bring up that locker room, get some experience in there, some playoff experience in there. And sucks that he uh, wasn't able to play in a championship game or play in a Super Bowl uh, with the Ravens because that was the goal. But the writing was on the wall and they drafted Dobbins and you just wish the best for an absolute spark plug, a guy that was fun and best mark. And hopefully, you know, he's able to go join another team real quick and get on the Packers or something and win a Super Bowl. I think that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Kyle, I know you're a big Mark guy. What did you, uh, was your reaction here? You know, uh, obviously from the business standpoint, we understood it. He was on the books for far too much money and he was not producing to uh, either of Dobbins or Gus Edwards <clears throat> production. Overall, where uh, I landed with it was like, I don't think that just drafting J.K. Dobbins meant the writing was on the wall so much that like they were trying to find a guy for him that like if Ingram couldn't produce next year that he wouldn't, like they already had somebody in the making. But, uh, you know, Mark kind of dropped off a lot quicker than we thought or anticipated. And overall, J.K. Dobbins made the production leap rather quickly. And uh, that left Mark Ingram as the odd man out because... Dobbins and Edwards were both outproducing out him on the football field. And then Justice Hill was producing more in the uh, special teams area, which allowed him to uh, no longer be a part of the, the playing time, unfortunately. Um, I loved Mark Ingram. He was hilarious uh, all throughout training camp. He was just a character that allowed uh, the Ravens to have some, you know, some off the field fun as well as on the field fun and provided um, a personality that this team has kind of lacked in these last, excuse me, in these last few years. <laughs> those uh, those, G- those GNTs are hitting you already. I think. G- I've had one GNT. I've had one, boys. Come on. I've had genuinely one. But overall, um, you know, the personality of this team has always been rough and tough. But over the years, and uh, some people aren't as thrilled about it, but having a fun character, having somebody that brightens up the room a little bit with, uh, without being so angry or, or you know, brows all furrowed. Uh, Ingram was that guy, and he defended, Mark, you know, he defended Lamar Jackson. He defended the players in the room, and he was also the most supportive player we've seen. You know, when he wasn't playing, he could have easily made comments or uh, displayed frustration on the sidelines. He was too busy screaming for uh, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards to continue like making the plays that they did. And I believe that J.K. Dobbins is on vacation with Mark Ingram's family right now, which means everything in the world, you know. They, he took the rookie player that took his job on the vacation that he's on right now. And he, so that also signifies that like he is not out there pursuing a, a ring. Instead, he's hanging out with Marking, you know, he's hanging out with J.K. Dobbins and his family on a vacation and brought the rookie back with him on said vacation. It's awesome. It definitely is. Voss noted hater of uh, running backs on contracts that are uh, not necessarily cheap, but uh, Mark <laughs> didn't cost a ton of money and he had uh, some pretty consummate production here and uh, was a, a fun figure to root for. I'm sure you're uh, sort of sad to see him go from a personality perspective as well, even given all that. Yeah, I concur. He was a good signing. He made a splash for, from his first carry, you know, against Miami last year. Um, he also made a nice play in the Texans game this year on that fourth down in the Wildcat, won the game. Uh, a lot of people don't remember that. Um, just brought a lot of intangibles, brought that veteran leadership, brought that confidence last season. 
obviously didn't make sense for the Ravens going forward financially or production wise, and they did the right thing. And uh, we wish Mark, uh, you know, all the best in the future. Obviously, the way his teammates adored him, you can see that in the send off that they've given him. Also, notably, <clears throat> Ravens released Tremont Williams, the corner who actually latched on with the Packers today for their their run returning to Green Bay. So that's pretty cool, also. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I think that uh, hopefully. Uh, what was the move that the Ravens were trying to make? But like you mentioned, Kyle, he's already kind of off to vacation. So maybe he's just kind of putting a bow on the season to begin with. Not really sure which of the four teams would even want a running back uh, with the season that he had really right now anyway, which is, you know, unfortunate. But I'm sure he's uh, hopping on his private jet, uh, going and partying it up with J.K. Dobbins and his family, and he's not really minding it too much. So it's uh, sad to see, you know, because he is kind of one of the harbingers of this new era with Lamar Jackson. You mentioned uh, him making an impact on his very first play just that kind of bruising run right through Miami's defense. And I remember that game specifically because like, I think right after that drive, he scored a touchdown on it. And my brother walked down out of his room and the first words out of his mouth were, we're so fucking good. Uh, and the team wound up going uh, 14 and two that year. So he was correct in that assessment. And uh, I think Mark was a big part of that. So uh, we like Mark a lot. He's going to have a great future and whatever he chooses to do, probably media. And uh, you know, it was a nice send off by the Ravens for him. So that was our first piece of news. And uh, our second one, before we get into the segment here, is uh, John Harbaugh's press conference. It, uh, it raised some eyebrows, including uh, one person in his chat room a little bit I don't think was too thrilled with uh, what he uh, saw and heard necessarily. And so he kind of embraces the idea of extending Lamar Jackson. He says he knows that's just kind of a formality, confirms that Greg Roman and Wink Martindale's jobs are safe. Uh, and he did take some flack for his comments on the passing game. Uh, Voss, that last point there, I think it kind of stuck with you a little bit. Well, he was kind of defensive, you know, Harbaugh. And I would have liked to hear him say when the question was raised about the balance, Marquise Brown saying the office need to be more balanced to agree and say it didn't need to be more balanced instead of say we need to be more efficient, basically saying we need to get back to the 2019 offense. Uh, let's not forget that 2019 offense lost in the playoffs too. But like you said, Jake, a lot of times you hear what you want to hear or maybe another way you you hear, you filter through your priors of what you what you have seen with this team over the years and when he starts talking about we're not going to every every comment about wideout is is context in the context of can they be you know is the price right um it starts to raise a little eyebrows but i'm sure we'll talk about it more on the show it's just a press conference doesn't mean the whole offseason plan is is now cemented just because of that yeah i think this uh i sent this to you guys in the slack chat as well it was a tweet from jeff Zerebeck that sums it up perfectly He's not, quote, he's not going to throw his coordinator and players, including franchise QB, under the bus. He's not going to reveal organizations' plans for 31 other teams to see. Not sure why people get so, so worked up about a press conference. And that part, like, uh, side note there, that's why I love Jeff. Like, he's a guy who's very professional and very serious and, like, takes his stuff seriously. But he's not afraid to have a little bit of fun here and there. And he's also not afraid to kind of call out the BS uh, that goes on in this industry sometimes, especially uh, or even the ones that he kind of does have to participate in constantly, like these press conferences. And I think you can take some stuff from them. Um, but like you said, I do think it is kind of a Rorschach test where like you're kind of seeing what you want to see. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of the off season, you know, farewell uh, press conference type deal. He's not going to like throw anyone under the bus. He's just going to make some general comments. Spenny, what was kind of your, your main takeaway from this one? I think he did throw one group under the bus and it was the offensive line. He quickly and, egregiously, uh, I guess blatantly is a better word, stated that 
the offensive line was priority number one. I think that the offensive play sheet became limited after Ronnie Stanley went down and they go through that losing stretch, including Orlando Brown. There's this big, there's this big idea that Orlando Brown, because he's this massive guy is this like mauler that uh, drives people off the ball in the run game. He's not, none of those guys are, they have this tiny little offensive line uh, aside from Orlando Brown, you know, Phillips, not a huge tackle. Ben power is not a huge dude. Macari is a tiny center. Uh, Bozeman, you know, a big boy, but he's not this like physical imposing player and they couldn't run zone. They, they couldn't confidently win one-on-one blocks. Uh, the, the bills have a ultra athletic lean defensive front. They were swimming over top and putting guys on their faces. And I think that really was the primary issue in terms of personnel for what this offense lacked. And you heard Harbaugh quickly address whoops, just broke a little plastic thing. Uh, heard Harbaugh quickly address you know, we want to make this offensive line better. And I think that it translates to a frenetic, frantic pocket presence from Lamar Jackson who wants to drop his eyes and start running. And he gets COVID and comes back. He's like, you know, I'm going to just do what I had to do. Uh, in the beginning of the season, the very beginning against the Browns and the Texans, he was calm. His feet were calm. And then he starts getting these, you know, speed rushers coming around the edge once Ronnie Stanley goes down. And I think the offense is limited. He, his mechanics regressed very much so, uh, especially in that Bills game when they were getting pressure. His feet were frantic. His eyes were frantic. He was dropping his eyes, wasn't looking. You know, usually he's the number one. If I roll out and sprint out, I'm going to keep my eyes upfield and go flick the ball. And he did that once to J.K. Dobbins, but there's just several instances where it's, you know, his, his eyes are down and he's missing some open stuff. And uh, I think a good strategy personnel-wise is to build the great wall in front of him because he is such a dynamic player, let him hang out, find the right move, and uh, go rip teams apart that way. So I, I think it makes sense. Go get some maulers. I'm tired of these little tiny linemen they have in the interior. Like Bradley Bozeman should be playing center. He's the size of a center, not a left guard. And Ben Powers, I thought, would be an answer. And, of course, he only started this year. But, like, no, he wasn't. Uh, he was not playing at a high level. And he was playing at an okay level. And at this point, you want to see a vet. You want to see maybe another rookie come in there and solidify things. And uh, I, that was a big takeaway is that Harbaugh wants the offensive line addressed. And that makes me think Lamar wants the offensive line addressed. Uh, it, it's all in simpatico that he loves his quarterback and he wants his quarterback to have what he needs. Uh, they spent a bunch of picks on receivers. And, you know, maybe they haven't worked out that well. They haven't thrown the ball enough to figure out if they work out or not. But get that damn line right and run with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It's definitely one that we're going to get a ton into when we discuss needs here in just a little bit. But Kyle, you're the uh, one guy who is consistently kind of attending these things if you know over Zoom uh, and whatnot. What did you kind of take away from this Harbaugh state of the uh, Ravens po- or uh, press conference? My first biggest takeaway is that fans are really upset that Harbaugh said the, the phrase that he didn't want to stick around. And well, he, excuse me, he didn't want to beg a receiver to show up. That on camera, if you were to be quoted, I'm going to, you know, we want a guy here no matter what. We need to get Lamar weapons no matter what. We have to we have to get these guys in the building. We have to make this offense better. That only cripples your arguments in free agency. If Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay or whatever players are interested in signing with the Baltimore Ravens in 2021 – see Harbaugh on camera say, we're going to get these guys in the building no matter what. They can argue for $3 million more per year just from that quote. They can say, you guys want us here, right? You want me here? 
Yeah, it's 14 million a year. It's not 11. It's 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 12 million a year, not nine. That's it. Like, and and Harbaugh stressed it. Like, hey, if you care about your targets, if you care about your stats more than winning, like, go somewhere else. And that's fine for those players that want to go get their money. I'm not against players getting their money. I'm I'm I try to be more supportive of players than I am an organization. And if Allen Robinson wants to go make 16 somewhere else instead of 11 or 12 with the Ravens, go get your money. But like. I liked that Harbaugh said that because it you only cripple yourself in argue in in contract negotiations by saying we're gonna we're we need a guy here no matter what we have to land it here we gotta we gotta you know we gotta get Allen Robinson in no matter the price that's only gonna cripple you in free agency talks and the Ravens are not slated to have a whole lot of money in free agency for 2021. That's the biggest takeaway I had overall. It's like my daughter, right? I'm not going to go out with the guy wearing the backwards hat that's just talking about going out and getting beers with guys the other night. That's not how this works. You can't be a simp out there on the market, okay? That's how economics in the free market works, all right? I need some... Uh, you know, the, uh, the other day, me and my daughter, we were sitting down and... Uh, that was, that was and, really uh, good. You know, like, nothing? Like, come on. That's where I got from it. Um, I think... Uh, <laughs> come on! Uh, that was good! Yeah, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty good one. I don't know what that is. It was Cowherd. <laughs> it was Cowherd. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I don't listen to him. <laughs> I covered Here's the thing. You're talking about being a backwards hat guy in a world that is increasingly becoming a forward hats guy world. It's wear a dad like hat. Don't wear snap That's hats. That's what I thought it was. Wait, <laughs> yeah. is that not Shapiro? I, I heard Shapiro. <laughs> They're I the like same. It's... in a room with a peephole and makes me watch as another man comes into the bedroom and does. <laughs> I'm not going to approach the free market like this. We need to have economic mindsets and principles that we take into these negotiations. That's my Shapiro. They burn down the cities, but but now all of a sudden it's a big deal if they want to you know storm the capital. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> okay, so you got into the capital. Now what? Bringing, That's my room. Bringing the train back onto the rails here. Uh, I wanted to talk about what Jeff mentioned at the top of this uh, part of the segment was was Jeff Zrebik's tweet. And, he, you know, how he mentioned that he's not going to throw his coordinator players, including franchise quarterback, under the bus. He's not going to reveal organizations' plans to 31 other teams. Not sure why people get so worked up about a press conference. I mentioned this on the Twitch stream the other day, uh, twitch.tv slash Baltimore Beatdown. But I mentioned that this is the only time fans get any kind of a look behind the curtain. And though it's not actually behind the curtain, that's what fans think this is. This is the only time they get to hear Harbaugh in a press conference kind of cover more topics than they do in a five minute presser or at the beginning of training camp. That's why they like, that's why fans get worked up about a press conference is because they never get to see Harbaugh in the setting for more than five minutes before the PR team is like, you guys got one more and then we're sending him off. So this is why fans get so worked up. I do, however, agree with, you know, Jeff in saying that like, Yes, he's not going to throw coordinators and players under the bus. He's not going to throw Lamar under the bus. He's not going to reveal organizational plans. And he's not going to give any free agents or their their uh, their agents themselves any arguments for contract negotiations. So Jeff's right on this, but also I think he, he missed a little bit of like fans. This is why they get worked up because they never get to see this kind of side from Harbaugh and the organization. And I mean, they've cut down the state of the Ravens presser from Bashadi. Ozzy or the GM, which would be Eric in this instance, and Harbaugh and Dick Cass, president, um, all, you know, now it's just Harbaugh because they've reeled that back even more. So this is all the content that fans get. And this is this is the issue that it becomes is like this is the only time they get to enjoy it. Okay. I, and I agree with what you said, but he, 
Harbaugh could have been a little bit more forceful in saying there's there's things we there's problems maybe with the system or we need to make some adjustments or we need to modify. Instead, he was more well, very defensive about what they've accomplished in the regular season. So I can understand where the fans are. It, 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 again, this isn't the, the off season now is set by Harbaugh's press conference agenda. He hasn't even met with DaCosta yet, most likely. They haven't had, had all these meetings. And DaCosta might say, hey, I know you want to run the ball, set r- rushing records, but we're looking around the league and we're seeing that the four teams that advanced are the f- four best passing teams or four of the five best. So we're going to, we, we want to put an emphasis on passing. But I can understand, I can understand both sides of it. Is the are you, are you saying that Harbaugh is only interested in the run game there? And you're saying I'm saying Harbaugh's stubborn, and he came. He wanted to do a revolutionary offense two years ago, and he still potentially believes that that experiment can work. And I'm not necessarily sure it can. He's uh okay. so I I think he's stubborn. I think he's also just not going to lay his cards out on the table like that right yeah. now, like you mentioned. But we'll talk about that. Obviously, is the Bishotti state of the Ravens thing is that still a thing? He didn't do it last year, no. right? No, I think he's done with that. He yep, a couple years done. ago, I think he didn't want to do it, and then off the off last year, I think he said, "Well, the team had a great success. This is my opportunity to stop doing it." No other it was, teams it do the, it. By the way. No yeah. other team ever did it. That's yeah. what I, I that's kind of what SB Nation managers as well. I was like, hey, guys, like, what do you guys do for this kind of presser? And they're all like, what are you talking about? The owner is never a part of these press conferences, like the end of the year presser. That's only ever the ho- head coach, if we even get that. And I was like, wow, the Ravens are like polite enough to put out their owner, their GM, their president of operations and their like coaches like this is crazy. And then the next year, just Harbaugh. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's that's done. Yeah, I miss that. Like, I think that's I love Bishotti, obviously, as, as an owner, and that doesn't color my opinion of him any differently. But I do think that that was one of the things that, again, really separated him from uh, some of the other other Jim Oaks uh, in his he position. Got into the weeds with the Kaepernick stuff, with the Ray Rice stuff. I think he got in over his head and was like, I want to be never, never mind. I want to be a nameless, faceless entity. And at the same time, another Harbaugh quote that is not brought up. John Harbaugh, if we could bring in an Anquan Bolden in here, let's do it, man. Can we afford it? What are the other resources that we need? That's the details we need to figure out. But I think a big physical target would be awesome for Lamar right now. Yeah. But so, he didn't qualify fixing the offensive line with do we have the resources for it? Not that one's – I think they're 1A and 1B. I think I think either way you want to put it, they're both 1A and 1B. He's qualifying can we afford the receiver. He's saying we're definitely going to fix well, the you dra- I mean, Well, you receivers are, you receivers are you expensive. You Boykin, you, you they know, don't stack up to the other teams around the league. But I mean, it's like how much – but I think the question, though, is like how much can you afford to continuously miss on? Like if you draft another one, if you get another one and it's another miss, that just – that like is a double whammy because you didn't fix the offensive line with your resources and you picked up a receiver that's not working when you're a running team. So it's like mm, maybe Lamar would have thrown better. Maybe the pass offense would have worked a little better if we had Ronnie Stanley and a veteran center that wasn't throwing the ball on the ground or over people's heads. And I, I think the, the uh, I think the, defund the run defense. That's really the solution. I think the, uh, I think the, I think what that comes yeah, from is that, that, that makes sense. I think it's a tacit acknowledgement that wide receiver is just so much more expensive than offensive line to begin with. Um, so even if you are going after like a tier two, they've got two tackles. They don't need a, they don't need a tackle, and tackles are the cheap, the expensive ones. Okay, so we're 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 getting into the weeds here. So what let's, I'm going to do let's, is let's go. I'm going to transition us into Inkbook pay per view twenty minutes. Let's go. What is the annual approximate annual value that Corey Lindsley is going to get? I can't wait for that segment. Listen, who could say? We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pull spot rack up right now. 
But we're officially getting into it. We are into the 2021 Baltimore Beatdown offsite, hosted by your boy. How does it feel sitting here in this StreamYard room? You know, it's very luxurious, obviously. We, you know, vignettes were served, coffee, everything. It, it just, it, it feels great. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm just buzzing right now. I know Kyle's uh, on cloud nine as well. Kyle's got a little snacky snack. Yeah, I, Kyle, Kyle's, uh, Kyle brought the energy and now he's fading. Now, yeah, I, he's I feel a little bit better. He was so, just like up in the a couple of slices of pizza. <laughs> so I was trying, I was trying to be incognito about this because I know the downloads on this podcast are a lot more than the views on the YouTube video. So I was trying to be incognito, and I got all three of you, unlike John Harbaugh, throwing me under the fucking bus. He's a uh, Kyle eating over there. Look at this guy. Yeah, you just you totally Thanks, you you Icarus yourself and just flew into the sun, and now we have a whole uh, forty minute segment starving, here. I was starving, and you guys made all these comments about how I'm t- how I am flying too high. So no, like, we wanted hey. we wanted more drinky drinky, less eaty eaty. Bring energy <laughs> back up. I was gonna say we need you fired back up. All right, well. Now right, you got nobody pizza make comment on this. Nobody make nobody make audio comment on this because then the audio medium is unnoticeable. But the video medium for the fans that do tune into the live recording of the podcast on YouTube, on on Twitter with uh, what is it called Periscope, Periscope. we'll get to catch this. All right, <laughs> is that Popov? <laughs> Ah, there you go. It looks like Popov. It looks like Popov, yeah. That's why I asked. It wasn't. So uh come on into the real show now. Jordan, I know oh. it's I know it's Beignet. Look at my last name, dude. Shout um, out to Spencer for being the only one that made zero audio comment after I just explicitly stated not to make any audio comment. Explicitly. Yeah, okay. That's why we made oh, it. Boy. Um yeah, but here we are. We're at the offsite. We're here, fellas, to look back and to look forward because sometimes you gotta look back actually move forward and so we're looking back on the 2020 baltimore ravens some things that went right some things that went wrong we're also going to look forward to the 2021 offseason and like i said do a lot of buzzword heavy stuff with a little swat analysis we're going to do some uh you know uh, how are you going to approach this how are you going to attack it attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind that's a little hardball bullshitty uh buzzword type thing so we're getting deep into the weeds here and i'm very excited and so we're starting off with like I said, reviewing 2020. And we're starting off with some points on what we think went right with the 2020 Baltimore Ravens. Spenny, what do you think went right with this team? I think that they invested a lot of money on the defensive side of the ball, uh, got slapped in the mouth by Kansas City early on when they didn't have a preseason or time to gel. Uh, You know, Titans, you have $170 million and three first-round picks that can't bring down A.J. Brown. Everybody comes back healthy for that Titans game, and they locked it down. Then they went into Buffalo on a uh, viciously windy, freezing cold night on the lake and locked down the Bills offense. And you didn't look, you know, DaCosta and the team's general philosophy on that side of the ball at least didn't look like a complete and utter miss because at one point in the season it did when you've got Brandon Williams and Clayus Campbell out and – uh, you know, Marcus Peters is dinged up. Guys are missing time left and right. And you go into the playoffs, you're able to suffocate two of the top five scoring offenses in the NFL to the tune of uh, 23 offensive points, excluding that pick six. And a couple, you know, missed field goals from Tyler Bass as well help out. But uh, that at least proved that they could recognize how to make the defense better and could evaluate and, you know, put stuff that way. And also 
just the fact that they were six and five and had to basically went out. The only game they ended up in hindsight being able to lose was the Giants game. I think if they lost the Giants game, they would have been the seven seed still. Um, but other than that, it was it was a lot, a lot of moving around and different things. Uh, I think that considering the loss of Ronnie Stanley and Nick Boyle for them to be able to get back up to running for over 1,300 yards to close out the season over those final five games was great. Uh, so as far as strengths, I would you know say that the talent evaluation, the defensive effort was there and all of those things while they were also kind of negatives at the same time, but it proved that they could get better at what they put their mind to, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Voss, what do you got uh, for things that went right this past well, year? On a macro level, <clears throat> you swept Cleveland, a playoff team. Um, I think a lot of DaCosta's low-cost veteran signings worked out very well. Jimmy, McPhee, Jihad Ward, uh, a lot of those guys. Wolf, absolutely Wolf. And you have to give Harbaugh a ton of credit for rallying the troops down the stretch. Those are the times where he really proves his uh, his worth as a head coach. You know, he just knows how to get everybody focused and motivated. And they made the playoffs for the third year in a row. And not only did they make the playoffs, they won a playoff game for the first time in six years, which is a long time for this franchise. So I think a lot went right this season. Kyle, what do you got for this uh, this bullet point? Things that went right for the Ravens. Um, <clears throat> Lamar's plummet back to earth was still a really good season. You know, he was unanimously voted MVP last season. And for him to drop off the way that he did, he was still a clear franchise quarterback and one of the best in the NFL. Um, the evaluation of some of the rookies, like J.K. Dobbins, for instance, uh, proved to be a decent pick, if not worth the value that they were. Matabuke. That's still arguable. Matabike was great. Absolutely. I'll agree with that one. Patrick Queen, a little bit nervous about, but he might still win you know, rookie of the year, which uh, this has been mentioned many times on your boys podcast that the awards versus the stats and the analytics sometimes don't match up. But overall, you know, um, landing a, the linebacker that ends up winning rookie of the year is top three in it. <clears throat> it's still kind of positive. Uh, other things that went right, uh, Voss and Spenny have both already hit it on there that, you know, some of those low cost signings really paid off. Some of the uh, players have continued to develop. Marlon Humphrey still is as dominant as ever. You know, he went, I believe, like the first 11 weeks without allowing a touchdown. And uh, he forced, I believe, the most forced fumbles in the NFL this season. Overall, uh, <clears throat> they also were able to cut ties with Earl Thomas at the very beginning of the season and not skip a beat with Deshaun Elliott slotting in there at their free safety slash just combo safety position because they don't necessarily run an FS slash SS system. Uh, but overall, you know, they found some evaluations with their safeties and they ran with Deshaun Elliott and they found a talented player there. Uh, overall, uh, they proved that they are still an organiza organization that players want to play for, as Steve Smith Sr. had mentioned multiple times throughout the season of talking about them, praising them. Derek Wolf praising them, Calais Campbell, you know, all these free agents that arrived, including Mark Ingram, who we mentioned at the top of the show. Just overall, they've demonstrated that they are an organization that people love to play for. Yeah, I think those are all well-made points. For me, mine is, uh, I think you guys zeroed in on some uh, roster construction stuff and some scheme. And I think for me, mine is a little bit more meta. It's just kind of the, they just got a year older and they just weathered a shit ton of adversity. And they were under a lot of different guns, one of which was COVID, you know, that just like absolutely wipes them out in the middle of the year. And they kind of come back and reset from that. 
And even outside of like all the, you know, the fact that Lamar still had a decent season and a lot of people are viewing it as his floor. I think that's all really good. But I think a lot of it is compounded by the fact that they had to go up against COVID, that they had to go up against a lot of this intense media scrutiny that they were dealing with week in and week out in these press conferences like we've hit on. It's something that like, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge deal, but it's got to add up having to answer all these questions over and over and over again. So I think like the fact that it played out in the way that it did where it was Murphy's Law, everything just kind of hit at once. They lose to the Pats, they lose to the Titans, COVID strikes, and then they kind of come back strong. Voss, you mentioned John Harbaugh. I've been uh, very vocal about the fact that I think he deserves a ton of credit for rallying the troops there in that respect. He rallies them back from that. He brings them down the stretch to a strong finish. They win a playoff game. It's not what you would call a successful season, I think, uh, if you're results-based, which I think you have to be to a certain extent in football. But as far as like a process-based meta kind of look at all of it, I think it uh, is a pretty successful year. And uh, as far as like what went right, the fact that they had to go through all that stuff and they came out the other side, I think, makes them stronger as a championship contender. Absolutely. So... What went wrong, Kyle? Um, you can argue that some of the draft picks did not work out. Malik Harrison was losing playing time to Chris Board uh, late in the season, especially against teams that weren't as talented like the Giants and the Jaguars down the stretch. And that proved that the third round pick that they spent on him might be a little bit more worrisome than we considered at the beginning of the season. Uh, trading for Yannick Ngakwe is questionable now seeing as uh, overall they didn't uh, see a whole lot of production out of them at the end uh, in the stats that they would, I assume, liked. They, they, they brought him in for sacks. They brought him in for tackling the quarterback, and he didn't execute certainly like he did over with the Minnesota Vikings. Other things that went wrong, the passing game for the second year straight was near the bottom half of the league uh, in twenty. 19 they were 27th this year they fell even further down to dead last in the nfl for ref like just to understand how bad that is you when you watch the jets offense when you watch the jacksonville jaguars offense the ravens had a worse passing attack than them yes the offense was more talented yes they produced more points yes they were better teams and better offenses but they did not certainly pass the ball better than any of those teams and that's really frustrating to to see especially from lamar jackson who was a talented player you know uh that, that's uh something that's really i think cumbersome for this team to figure out and that's uh one of the greatest proponents as to why greg roman should or should not still be with the team or if they need to continually hire a uh uh, pass game coordinator or somebody that can improve on the job. Spenny, what went wrong in your mind? Lamar lost his mechanics late. Uh, they didn't incorporate more screens or jet sweep usage necessarily. They did at a very basic level late with some smokes and alerts that should be a part of any offense. Uh, Ronnie Stanley went down and that was bad. Uh, Nick Boyle went down. That was bad. Uh, they, you know, didn't, evolve as a passing offense necessarily. I think there's several reasons why that's been a huge argumentative topic on Twitter. And we'll talk about that more, but I just think that it was foolish in the process to ignore the offense in the off season. And they, you know, I, I don't love the idea that a rookie could have come in and really propelled things 
uh, especially drafting at the 27th area. They're so they so easily could have missed. They so easily could have taken the wrong guy and then put them into this low volume passing offense. Does T Higgins look the same in this offense? Does, you know, Chenault get as many, get enough touches to show what he can even do. Uh, and they, they didn't, I mean, I wanted to see Lamar Jackson just five more dropbacks a game. And I looked at this year after that bills loss as kind of a, all right, well, what, what did we see out of the young guys year on offense? What did we, what did we get out of this young cheap offense that I've mentioned 50,000 times? And I think that we really saw Lamar Jackson's mechanics in the pocket go bye-bye a lot in his feet uh inconsistency there that was not fun to watch uh especially against the bills the offensive line was abysmal the fact that they didn't have a swing tackle to properly go play in a playoff run in in the playoffs hurt really badly and i think overall they were just flawed to expect so much out of lamar jackson and uh people were kind of making the comparison about you know Joe Flacco didn't have weapons. Joe Flacco didn't have weapons. After he signed the contract, I definitely agree. And Pitta's hip injury kind of po- compounded that. But Flacco, in his rookie contract, they they went out and got Bolden. They drafted Torrey Smith. They had Pitta emerge. You know, they signed Matt Burke. They had Yonda. They had uh, Ben Grubbs. They had you know they they had got they had drafted Michael Orr, and he was Michael Orr was not a great offensive tackle. He was an okay offensive tackle. He was better than Fluker or fucking Phillips were. And, you know, they surrounded him with talent. They had Ray Rice. They had a plethora of options in that rookie contract. And now it feels like a year wasted where you, you know, I get wanting to fix the problem on the defensive side of the ball. The front seven really was a problem. There was no, there's no talent at linebacker last year. Josh Bynes is a smart aged linebacker. He played really well, but not, you know, a world beater. And they had to sign him off the street and play him. And I, I get it. You want you wanted the interior pass rush. Interior pass rush was a really big problem. But it showed a fundamental flaw in investing in the defense and ignoring the offense. And for me, it's when your defense gets banged up, defense is a little more IQ and talent. And that's why you can see so many free agents make such an impact. You can pick it up quickly. Defenses are largely the same in assignment and and. Uh, you, after your six, seven years in the league, if you're a vet that has stuck around playing defense, it's because you're smart enough to, and you're athletic enough to, and you've made a name for yourself. You can play defense on most of the teams in the NFL. Ravens have a unique scheme, whatever, whatever. But when your defense gets hurt and you can't score points competently, then you're fucked. So maybe you need to invest first in making sure that you can score, that you have depth on the offensive line, that you know, you're know you not feeling limited offensively in your play sheet. And people, you know, talk about calling the same plays, but it's like, well, maybe those were, were the ones that they don't fuck up. Like you have all you, you have all these different receivers, Miles Boykin, basic assignments, and you can blame that on coaching too, absolutely. But like basic assignments early in the year, that Eagles game that he copped to, not even knowing, not even knowing that it was a pass play, he copped wow. to that too. He came out and said it was my fault. Yeah, and they, they all kind of blamed him, and he took the blame for it. But it was like you don't even know what fucking play is being run you can't snap the ball you don't have a real center and you do though the funny thing is that they do they have bradley bozeman who's a center at bama he's a natural center he's a natural pivot and he'll be a bigger center they could maybe snap the ball naturally but it's like you just didn't invest in your offense you put all this pressure on lamar jackson who is still learning is still growing is still making mistakes your defense got hurt you couldn't stop the titans when it mattered you couldn't stop the steelers you know you have all these issues and can't score the ball 
they brought they went out and got Mark Ingram last year. He's a running back. So, you know, he made a, a big difference in terms of being the guy that could punch the ball in. But like there was some veteran leadership there that was brought in. That's why I like the Mark Ingram move. It, it's a calming factor. And then you have Dobbins, who, you know, was learning and fucking up pass pro sometimes and, and t- opening the wrong way on handoffs. And uh, you got eventually they got Tristan Colon Castillo coming in there and doing an admirable job. But it was just like Lamar Jackson is a special talent, but what is Patrick Mahomes in the Ravens offense? What, what are these guys in the Ravens offense with no offensive line, no real number one guy? And a downside of also, I think, was Mark Andrews kind of just got taken away at the same time, had a ton of drops. I think we can now confidently say Mark Andrews is not a contested catch guy. Uh, never really. He, he can ca- catch ones that are where the guy's kind of hanging on him, but he is not a 50-50 jump ball guy. He's not Travis Kelsey. And to me, this offense was just so... <laughs> they just kind of were like, all right, guys, go, go, go run out there. We'll just trot, you know, we'll lose, we'll trade away Hayden Hurst. We'll lose Yonda and uh, we'll, we'll add a running back and, you know, get out there and go do that. And I think that I was a little blind at first because I thought Lamar Jackson was so good last year and, and everybody wanted to talk about regression was imminent. The regression was imminent when you didn't further your offense, you lost, you went down pegs and, trotted it out there and we're like run it back without your hall of fame right guard and without the second tight end the the ravens were a tight end team like last year and then nick boyle is like a great tight end sure but being able to put andrews and hearst on the field was a big element and i don't it was just very flawed in hindsight it was flawed to think that this this young cheap offense was going to do anything uh beyond what they did last year or close to what they did last year and last year's offense wasn't good enough to beat the Titans. So they ignored it and hopefully they learned from it. And Harbaugh likes to say, you live or you learn. So there you go. I hope they fucking learned. I got to soak that in. That was uh, some like Bob Costas special commentary stuff that you were doing there. It was great stuff. You also get a little like, you get a little Travolta in you when you start to hit those points. He's a natural pass protector. Oh my God. Bingo, bingo, boom. It's legal to buy it. It's legal to sell it. And if you're proprietor of a hash bar, it's legal to own it. Okay, V. I got I got three counterpoints I'm waiting on a little All right, all right, all right, fine. (laughs) Counterpoint for boss. But for me, like what I would say is like all the stuff that you're hitting on, I'll get to you in a second, boss. It is just like a roster construction miscalculation, right? It's let's just count on Hollywood and Boykin to develop. Doesn't work. Let's not worry too much about the interior offensive line because we develop those guys. We're good at that. Well, that didn't work either. And uh, it worked at times, and it worked in the run game at times, but it ultimately bit them against the strong competition uh, at Buffalo. It's a roster construction miscalculation by DaCosta is what went wrong. And Voss, you've had your misgivings with that all along. Let's uh, give you the floor here. Yeah, and I, I, I think a lot of the heat that Greg Roman is receiving is not fair because DaCosta did not build an offense that had the equal level of talent as other offenses around the league. Sure, the Ravens have a first-round wide receiver in Hollywood. They have Andrews, who I think he he made some nice contested catches in the fourth quarter of the season, in my view. But that's not enough. You know, you look around the league and you look at Cincinnati, who has, what, three first-round wide receivers or four, and then two second-round or two third-rounds on the roster. Pittsburgh has four uh, second-rounders. Cleveland traded for Beckham and Landry, and they continue adding, and they signed Hooper. Everybody's adding offensive pieces. Um, and I, the regression, the inefficiency from Lamar was expected. DeCosta didn't counteract that. He could have counteracted that by saying, okay, he's probably not going to be 
as perfect as he was at, during his MVP year. So let's give him some help instead of relying on him to do everything that boosts the offensive lineman to boost. And he actually took pass catchers away. If you look at it, you lost Roberts and Hurst. You added Duvernay and Prochet. And I'll give the rookies a little bit of a pass for this year because it was a COVID year and it was a weird year. Um, the KC game was the Nadir. Or I guess the Buffalo game too, but the KC game, they were just embarrassed in that game. And they, that went wrong. And that was billed as the game of the century uh, before game. The other thing, too, uh, the defense. The defense regressed. Um, in DVOA, efficiency at least, they fell from fourth to tenth in past DVOA um, and fifth to ninth in total DVOA. The run defense improved from, I believe it was 22nd to 12th, but Overall, it was a net negative, and I think that's a combination of they did have some injuries, although injuries are hard to quantify. They had injuries last year. Other teams have injuries, all that. They lost it all Thomas, who I agree with Kyle. Deshaun Elliott stepped in admirably, and he's a player going forward, but without that third safety, they couldn't play the dime as much, and the dime is what generates a lot of the big plays, a lot of the sacks, a lot of the turnovers, and I saw an interesting article on 538 today that uh, basically said you're better off having a bad run defense. You're better off inviting the run because you don't want teams to pass because passing is more efficient. Um, so overall, it was a miscalculation on DaCosta. You could have you had two potential takeaways from the Tennessee game. One is the run defense is abysmal and the Ravens can't win the Super Bowl. The second was the Ravens cannot play from behind. So he chose to throw all his eggs in the run defense basket None of his eggs in the can't play from behind. And maybe if you build up that passing offense, not only can you come from behind, but you can also put up enough points early in the game that run defense is less of a factor in the, in the fourth quarter. Kyle, you've been uh, sitting on a point there, I feel like. Okay, multiple things. One, if Bradley Bozeman was more talented at center, they'd have played him at center by this time. I think that's necessary to point out because – there's a reason he's still at left guard and he's producing far more at left guard. I think that was a little, I, I think that I, I think it's bullshit that he is t kind of touted as this like all pro level guard or something. He gets ripped down when he, they play elite competition. I don't think he's that great. of a guard. He produces fairly well. Um, he is also asked to pull more than any other guard in the league, I believe because he can't drive people off the ball. Okay. But that's still utilized effectively. Is it not? Yeah, it absolutely is. That's okay, can, and that's what that's what's asked though. of their they, scheme, they, isn't it? They that's what's asked of their scheme, right? Or they like, pulled guys as a center. They pulled Makari. They pulled Skura a right. lot. But if they don't think he's going to be successful at center, if they think diminish, if they think that he's going to only be more diminished in value, and Makari can't fill in for Bozeman for a higher value than they have when they flip flop them. They might as well keep them because Makari at center prior to the Bills game was snapping the ball very well. He was, he was, you know, filling in for Matt Skura and Skura had a horrible game against the Titans and we did not see any horrible games from Makari until tragically it was the divisional round you know, of the NFL no, playoffs. There's no good games though. There's no, you know, it was him on a was, combo block. It was, was like, Makari poor during the rest of the, those, those games though. I felt he, he did. Good. He was like adequate. Not, I felt he was adequate. If the was bar fair. is that he's not throwing the ball over Lamar's head, then he was great up until that point. 
But if he was in a different offense, he'd be horrible. I'm saying, Lamar, I'm saying, Lamar makes all of these offensive linemen worlds better than they really are. He makes the good ones great and the bad ones serviceable, in my opinion. Right. And but you can all run I'm saying is like they would have put Lamar to hide them. And that's what Greg Roman did. And no one gives him credit for adapting into a full, my guys can't win at the line. So I'm going to pull them all the time, different guys, different ways, bingo, bango, boom. And I, I, I know what you're saying, but I'm saying get a different guard. I'm fine with invest that in argument. A, invest I'm in a guard argument. and put Bozeman at center. Like do something. Get a I'm not, real I'm not, center. No, like, I'm not a part of the second part of that. that not centers at center. If, if Bozeman again. isn't talented at center, they put they would have put him in there by now. If if Bozeman was a was an adept center, if he was serviceable, if he was talented enough, I feel they would have put him at center by now. But instead, just, they've been shoehorning Makari and Skura in there because clearly, like I don't think because, Bozeman because is talented is enough. Guy. I will he was say great uh, for four years at Alabama, but like he's not producing with the Ravens as a center for a reason, and I don't think it's because he's not because he's good enough or that he he's not as good as the guard. I don't know how he can produce as a center in college, produce as a guard in the NFL, and not be able to produce as a center in the NFL. Like, guards get asked to do more physically. Bozeman's shortcomings are physical shortcomings for the guard position. Do you guys uh, Do you guys know who Josh Sitton is? Yes. Yes. With Packers. I got a, yeah, I got a headline here from his time with the Dolphins. The Miami Sun Sentinel. Dolphins' Josh Sitton compares playing left and right guard trying to wipe your ass with your opposite hand. And that's like guard to guard, obviously, but like playing offensive line, I think it's a little like, it's a little like cutesy to just say like he could just switch over like midseason. You know what I mean? Like it's just a, it's a little. He much. played center at Bama. He was yeah. Bama. He was Bama's center. Okay, he's that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But he's been. But they would have put him there by now if he was serviceable there. Nah, God, would they they've not? Been, they've been doing weird stuff in the offensive line for three years. They had you don't James think Hurt they would do that after. at all? You don't think, like, I understand the Ravens' stubbornness and stuff. You draft Tyree to play right guard and have him playing right tackle. They had him at right guard and right tackle. He got bullied at right guard, and they attempted to flip him to right tackle to see if he could be any more talented anywhere. They, like, the Ravens have been stubborn in areas. I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong there. I would agree that you're right there. The Ravens' infatuation with UDFA centers is wild to me. Squirrel was talented at his job. He he hit a horrible knee injury. wasn't the same. And then and they've they been trying to Yonda. refill this. They it's haven't been able to playing this. next to one of the best guards in the NFL history. Yes, and I. Agree and to me, the to ball. me the injury is also you know, to me the injury all is wanted, all. I wanted to notify, like my argument was not any of the other parts of this. The only argument that I have is that if Bradley Bozeman was going to be talented enough to be a center in the NFL, they would have played him there by now. They definitely tested him out during training camp his rookie season. They definitely utilized him or tried to get him in that position by his rookie season. He did not make the cut there. They liked him better at left guard. And I assume by now, after the Matt Skura debacle, after the New England Patriots, after uh, what we've seen with Patrick McCarry at center against the Buffalo Bills in the divisional round, if Bradley Bozeman wanted to be a center, one, and two, if the team thought he was more valuable as a center, than his current position, they would be playing him there now. And I don't think he's there because they're trying to be stubborn. I think it's because of a talent or skill evaluation that they are not confident in with Bozeman there, and they if like someone, him more at left guard. If someone can't play tackle, you put them at guard. If someone can't play guard, you put them at center. It works in on physical limitations because the center is required to be – is the guy that can help on double teams in pass pro that is going to, you know – 
be able to look up and get a head start on everyone. He's in control. He snaps the ball. So you're able to use IQ to defeat that. And it just felt like it. Skura is Harbaugh's guy. They rushed him back after his ACL issue, uh, you know, blowing his entire knee out late in the season. He's not good to go. They put him in early. He struggles mightily. He doesn't have Yonda next to him anymore. And it's like, I would rather try Bozeman at center and put Makari at left guard or something because Makari is also not a center, also didn't play center in college. So, I mean, sure, sure. And it wouldn't have fixed all the issues if both played center, it wouldn't have fixed all the issues. And what that, what it all comes down to, what it all comes down to is DeCosta was throwing bones with this offense. He was gambling big time. He gambled at the wide receiver position. I'm not arguing that part. It did not work. He gambled, he gambled, he gambled at the interior offensive line and it did not work. And regardless of whether you're moving Bozeman around or whatever, who's going to play left guard then? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, he didn't have enough depth there. That was a miscalculation on his part. That is what went wrong on the offensive was, side of the ball. And that was one of my biggest points that I said at the beginning of the season or, or during the offseason prior to the season was that they were going to miss Marshall Yonda more than any fan feared. You know, like this was going to be the greatest loss of of the team at points because the offensive line is so significant and they can no longer just call plays of run behind number 73 on two. Like, like, like that's not going to be a thing anymore. And it wasn't. And the offensive line, specifically interior offensive line struggled. I got to get in touch with Tony Reale and find out what program they use that allows him to like give people points and like silence people and stuff. I think I can mute you guys because that was like some uh, around the horn type shit that we just went through. That was pretty good. (laughs) The other thing. Let's move on to our favorite moment. Yeah, I know. Right. We're getting all (laughs) getting in the the trenches here. One more thing. One more thing. You can work work it into a later segment, my man. (laughs) Just say it. Just fucking say it. Say it. Say it. Okay, Voss, you said that this team had poor DVOA on defense and stuff. This year, they allowed 18.9 yards per, excuse me, 18.9 points per game. Last year, they allowed only 17.6. I understand, I understand that these are more advanced analytics that you're using for DVOA, but overall, they allowed fewer points in 2020 than they did in 2019 or, the, or around the same baseline. The whole point of DVOA is to try to make a standard baseline depending on your competition. But anyway. Right. Fine. One last Still, point. How about you put your stack sheet away, you fucking nerd? You can't measure a guy's heart out there. <laughs> and, and one last point, though, is that Wink, you know, look at what Robert Sala did with the 49ers this year, how much they lost and how great they were. That's what okay. he did. And then Wink has a smorgasbord of guys still healthy, even though they did have some issues. I mean, I don't think the defense was a huge thing. But defense was second it, best in the NFL. It's not, it's not getting – it wasn't. It was 10th best in the NFL. Second best in points per game. They allowed the 10th. Yeah, because they played the, played the fucking Bengals twice. and held They also the, played the Chiefs. Play. They played the Bear, They played the Browns they played twice. The they played the Steelers twice. The they played all these other teams. Points. The yeah. They also had the. They also the NFL. They played the Kansas City Chiefs. They played some good teams as well. They Jay, also. We talked Jay, about them what, was what was your favorite moment of last season? They also came down with the vid pretty hard. Uh, my favorite moments. <laughs> thank you. My favorite moments. My favorite moments. It comes down to two. It's obviously the playoff game, and it is the Brownies game. And I think you guys are probably going to have those. On your list as well as we transition into favorite moments here. I need to make that clear. We're, we're done with the other segment. So it's definitely the Browns game for me. I think um, just like a, like lost in the fact that like it was such a huge win and it like propelled them onto their playoff run that they wound up going on. It was one of the most insane fucking football games I've ever seen. 
It was just a ping pong game. Like it reminds me of the Super Bowl against the Eagles and the Patriots a couple of years ago. It reminds me of the Rams Chiefs game from a couple of years ago on Monday Night Football as well. Like just an insane game, really fun to watch, uh, and you know, just great offense on both sides of the ball, and like great content too that I got out of it, which is probably you know pretty big for us. You had the Lamar dump gate that was huge. Uh, Tucker hitting a game winner, just everything about it. it the bad beat with the 47-42 on the safety. Uh, Brownie's second Monday or Brownie's second game, Monday Night Football victory was my favorite moment of the year. Just a feeling of pure joy and elation as opposed to the playoff win, which I think was a little bit more of a feeling of relief for me. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but uh, the the Browns win. Uh, that, that has to be my favorite moment. Voss, thank you for steering us into that. What is yours? That's it. That's it. Uh, I'm going to go with the dance on the Tennessee logo and not the game, just specifically the dance, because I feel like the Ravens got their swagger back for the first time in a long time. I know some fans like the the virtues of the football team and they'll say, oh, you know, our players don't get arrested and we're, you know, upstanding citizens. And I get that and I appreciate that too. But for me, what really gets me going is that aggressive testosterone stuff. That's what I love about Ravens football growing up. And that's what I still love. And, and that was by far my favorite moment. Stomp on that logo. Yeah. The logo stomp was great. And like, also the fact that like the Titans are now like every week, there's like Will Compton and that other dude that are on their podcast that are like talking about <laughs> it. Like, Oh, why don't you just get over it? Ravens. It's like, you guys are still fucking talking about it. Why don't you fucking get over it? Kyle, <laughs> uh, favorite moment for you. All right. Strap in. One, Voss is not much of a culture guy. It says when when Ravens hire You're people, saying he's uncultured people. No, I don't have a I'm culture. here to start fights tonight, boys. Welcome in. I I'm like a culture. It's a dip, maybe a different Voss, you're always like veteran leadership doesn't really mean much on the fucking millions of dollars that they sign him for. But now you're all cool when the culture comes out and the Ravens get their swagger back as a part of their culture. Yeah, Just I calling like that, that out. I agree like, with you, like but I wanted to call it out. I agree with bad boys. No, he likes he likes culture, but he likes the no, he likes the he likes the he likes the early two thousands. These guys that for the culture and the veteran leadership, like that's that's part of it, and that's what they got with Marcus Peters. And I know you agreed with the part Peter signing. I'm not I'm not harping you on any of that part. I'm only pointing out that you're not a guy that's like there's only so much veteran leadership you can hire in a room, but like. That's what Peters brought when they did what they did. No, he likes the early 2000s macho bullshit. Uh, that kind of culture. Voss still a billet guy until the day he dies. And I'm not I'm not yeah. mad about that at all. I like that about Voss. I like having different people in this room for that reason with different thoughts and different feelings in it. I'm the same way also, at times, but like for the record, like I, I kind of. No, I, like I was also a part of it. I said that specifically, like that's my second favorite moment of the season was Marcus Peters stomping on that fucking Tennessee Titans logo. I remember when However, it happened in real time, I was just laughing out loud. My number one moment this season was Lamar Jackson's 47, 48-yard rushing touchdown against the Titans. Uh, I've said it many times that I try to be I try to be stoic when I'm covering the games. I try to be boring when covering the games. I'm like tweeting like, Derek Wolf just got another sack in my face while I'm tweeting in all caps is, Derek Wolf just got another sack. Exclamation, exclamation, hashtag Ravens flock, hashtag third down. And that's my actual face during it. Lamar Jackson breaking loose for that touchdown against the Titans. 
I was screaming. I had my arms up in the air. I was celebrating. Allie was in the other room. She came by screaming, hearing me being joyous and happy and was hype about it. That was my favorite moment of the uh, of this season was Lamar Jackson showing everybody once again, he's the best fucking athlete on the field, the best football player when he wants to be. And I'm so happy he can do it. And he's smart enough to do it when when push comes to shove. That was the breakthrough moment of the playoffs for me. It's like, oh, shit. Like, OK, they're, they're going to have a chance now. The offense is uh, getting going. So that's that's a great pick. Spen, what yep. is yours? Trying to think of like individual play that gave me great feeling. Probably like the Andrews touchdown against the Titans in the regular season game where they finally kind of busted the passing game open against them or just the Cleveland Browns game to start the season. It just felt like they're back. They're dominant. They're going to run this back. There's no offensive problems. No Yonda, no problem. Defense was dominant. Clay Campbell dropping back into hooks and doing stuff. Um, you guys hit on the ones I probably would have said, but to not be uh, repetitive <laughs> I'll go with uh, I'll go with that Browns ass kicking in the beginning of the season. Just it felt it felt good for them to be back. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good pick. I think that's one that uh, I look back on and like. Obviously, our expectations were set, and uh, we had a long football season in front of us. But uh, I think that opening just ass whooping. It's like how good can this team actually be? Uh, and I remember you and I, put, like in particular, had a pretty fun recording after that one. Uh, kind of going through them, bringing the ruckus there in week one. So that's an extremely, extremely good pick. Not one that I would have thought of, and I appreciate it for that reason. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of good moments in this season, I think, for as down as everyone is right now on Twitter and everything that's going on with, uh, you know, the fire Roman talk, like whatever. I, I'm not really, I'm trying to avoid that a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Like this, just looking back, if nothing else, if people want to argue that it's not a successful season, I guess I won't begrudge you that, but it was a very fun season of football, in my opinion. Um, okay, so Voss has run off to get a Bev, so we will start off the new segment uh, in his absence while we have, wait for him to come back, but it is going to be Team MVP. You can pick Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to hold that over your head if you choose to do so. Kyle, we'll start with you. Who is your Team MVP of the 2020 Baltimore Ravens? Team MVP is Lamar Jackson. It's the, it's the low-hanging fruit, but that doesn't mean it's not juicy. Lamar Jackson was the wagon of this team. He was the tractor of this team. He's the he's the driving offensive force. He's the sole purpose for Eric DaCosta to not spend money on this offense, believing in him to do it all. He is what, you know, was the driving force when Greg Roman had shortcomings. And I'm not saying he had them every week because he didn't. Uh, but... Lamar Jackson made the most of it. Lamar Jackson made the most of this rushing offense. He's also what Voss said in that he makes good linemen look great. He looks, makes great linemen look like Hall of Fame players. He makes bad linemen look like serviceable you know, blockers on this team. He is what changes every single defender's angles when attempting to try and tackle him or to set the edge or do whatever it has to be. It's a boring answer, but that doesn't mean it's not also the correct answer in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you kind of have to qualify your answer if it's going to be somebody separate. And for me, it is. But I think obviously you kind of do have to start with Lamar and go from there. Spenny, what is your answer? Uh, I'm going to say this one. I, th- I would probably actually say Orlando Brown, but the guy that I want to give recognition to is LJ Fort. Uh, I think he. Um, this is more of an unsung hero, I guess, but LJ Fort had like 
five bad reps this season, had like maybe seven bad reps this season, did everything that was asked. He was a rock of stability, uh, was able to make plays in the Bills game, make plays in the Titans game. Um, I, I'm more for an unsung hero, but I'm, I'm just going to give recognition to LJ Fort Vaz. We're on, uh, we're on team MVP. Kyle went Lamar Jackson. I'm going LJ Fort, uh, in a, in a nod of respect to someone who gets no recognition. Before we get your answer on that, what are we drinking? You are muted. I'm drinking a little rye. I'm trying to keep up with, uh, my man Kyle over here. He's uh, had one and a half drinks. He's spicy tonight. <laughs> I'm just happy, boys. Like I said, it's been a very rough couple months. I've said this off podcast. I'll clarify a little bit for everybody else. It's been a couple rough months. I've been grinding through a lot of challenges, be it work, be it school, be it everything else. And I'm finally like hitting that positivity mark. And so I'm buzzing tonight and I got to hang out with three of my favorite guys to hang out with. So that's why I've had one and three fourths drinks. Voss is acting like all I've done is crush a bunch. But I did have... Something that we showed only on the YouTube video, so that's a little bit fair. I probably yeah. had about three, Go maybe four. Bro. I, I, we're having I'm, some fun. I'm fair enough. Your head. I'm what kind of ride head. did you have? What kind of ride did you have, man? This is a little whistle pig. Uh, Woo, fancy boy! We got some angels envy when it was like the first or second time we ever saw each other. We went to your uh, family member's uh, restaurant. I vaguely remember that. Oh yeah, uh, my cousin Tommy's restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bought like oh, two, three glasses drink. of Angel's Envy, and we were cooking, my guy. It was like the first time we ever met each other. We were having a blast. No doubt, great. Did you guys go in through the the back room? They let you Voss, in through the kitchen. Moss showed up in like a Cadillac, <laughs> wearing probably the same Nike sweet ass jacket that he's rocking right now, if not a similar one. <laughs> Slick back hair, and I was like, "Fuck, man, I'm the managing editor. This is my guy." Like. It, should this be the other way around? I was spooked, man. I was, I was spooked. Boss was came in with so much thing. swagger. He's like Billick. He's like Billick and Billick's defense. He's just walking into the lion's dude. den. He's not tippy-toeing in. He's a fucking man, dude. Boss, <laughs> Boss, cheers to you, my guy. He's cheers my MVP you, for tonight. Who is your MVP for the team as you take I a sniff there? to Lamar Jackson. To me, it has to be Lamar. I think he makes everybody better. He elevates the team. If you think about it, I don't think any quarterback in the league, literally any quarterback, not Rodgers, not Wilson, not Mahomes. I don't think that they would have as much success as the uh, Ravens had. Top 10 scoring offense. Lamar, you know, he makes chicken salad out of chicken shit. And he does. And he's been doing it. And they're putting too much. And hopefully they'll get out of that. But he's my MVP. Because value, as far as value is concerned, I don't think there's any question. Yeah, I think that is the answer for sure. I do want to give a shout out to my guy, Wink Martindale. Uh, he's just, you know, once again, proved himself to be, I think, the most invaluable member on John Harbaugh's coaching staff. They're seeing a lot of brain drain right now. You got Joe Cullen going down, down to Jacksonville. You've got some of these other guys going off to uh, different places as Kyle uh, jets out on us there. I'm not sure what happened with that. Uh, so I will try to get get him back in. There he is. Uh, yeah, so you're seeing a lot of brain drain on the staff. Hewitt, I think, is in, uh, you know, conversations to leave as well. So. I think uh, he's just the guy who the last couple of years has been, you talk about people that have brought in this new era. I think he's rung it in exceptionally well. And uh, even with some of the issues that we saw on the defense this year, I think he did a great job keeping it together and proving himself a worthy head coaching candidate, even if he's not going to get a job, which I don't think he is, uh, which I'm very happy about. I'm glad to keep him in the picture here for another year. So I think we're pretty much in agreement that uh, Lamar is the MVP, but uh, I think uh, it's nice to get a little shout out there from Wink Martindale and uh, LJ Fort as well. So thank you for that, Spenny. Um, 
How surprised are you guys that Wing Martindale isn't getting more of a significant look as a head coach right now? We haven't seen, you know, there was musings of him being hired on possibly or getting some interviews, but the Ravens are expecting him to just come back this season. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I think for me, it's like he's obviously awesome and like he's done some great things, but like Robert Sala has two, Brandon Staley has two, and it's like you got this older guy with the gray hair and he's a little bit bigger and like doesn't cut the figure necessarily. I think franchises are just going to hire the other guys, you know, the younger, good looking, like energetic guys, even though Wink is very energetic as we've seen. Wink's incredibly energetic. Yeah. That's, I was, I was going to mention that like Wink has some of the best coordinator conference, like press pressers during training camp. I don't know if Voss would agree with me in this, but like he would show up and he would be like, all right, guys, here's the way it's going down. I'm not going to take your questions yet. I'm going to go through the entire defense. And if you have questions that don't have answers that I've already responded to, then I'll give you answers to it. And he would like break down the D-line. He'd break down the linebackers. He'd break down the rookies specifically. He'd break down every single position, the arguments there, the, the safety, the DBs, all of them specifically. And I just find that he was kind of a guy that would be great with the media, especially with the mullet and the look that he's got going, you know. And as well as like he's been a great coordinator, he defeated Arthur Smith, the Titans offensive coordinator, who was highly praised for a job. And, you know, and like averaged, you know, I think what, 13 or fewer points in their last like two, maybe three playoff uh, appearances. You know, his defense has done incredibly well. Yes, he's been stacked at that position with his with the talent there and with the Ravens spending on it. But overall, like I, I'm blown away that he's not a head coach or he's not expected to be a head coach heading into 2021. Yeah, and it's kind of like a uh, interview, but not. I, I wasn't expecting him to get a job. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like. I'm surprised he didn't get some more interviews though. He I, doesn't I seem. He doesn't seem political to me at all. Like, there's no bullshit with him. He's just like he's old enough at this no, point no. where he's just doing his thing. And like Salah, I I like Salah. I hope he does a good job. He seems like a good dude, but a little bit of a thirst bucket. Let's just be honest. He's out there like pounding his chest and like doing all this stuff and like that. You kind of have to do that, I guess. Like to get looked at as a young guy but uh i think salad did more with less yeah no i i think that's fair to say as well you know I, and i, I think he's deserving like, i think he's deserving of getting a job but um it doesn't that's the thing they want these new hot shot guys that are going to sell tickets yeah and it makes I, think sense. I, think a, I think there's a lot more than like your group's performance to qualify someone for a head coaching job yeah absolutely 100 percent but like the consistency from part of it and just the like consistency that. from Wink Martindale, you know, his defense the last two years have been top three in points allowed. Um, he's he, and while he's had the talent, I think he's, he's like a Rex the Ryan. Well. I think I think he's Rex Ryan. Rex that's Ryan. actually the, that's funny. The next thing I was gonna say is Rex Ryan on the lounge. I listened to a couple episodes ago from you know Ryan Mink and Garrett Downing, and they had Rex Ryan on there, and Rex was like, "There's no way this guy comes away." Uh, in this season without a head coaching gig. And it's feeling like he actually is going to come away with just arriving back with the team once again. I'm, I'm just surprised by it is all I'm trying to get at here. And I, th I was wanting to gauge if I'm, if I'm uh, a little out of left field or if everybody's in agreement that like, this is pretty strange that he's not going to be a head coach at on the strength, franchise. on the strength of his unit alone, he should have a job, but like, there's just a lot more that goes into it. Crushing the interview. I'm sure he did fine in interviews, but like, who knows? And like all the other organizational stuff. And it sounds like he actually was pretty organized. He was, he's been putting he did, staffs I together. Remember, he did want to bring Joe Brady with him. He did. Yeah. Year. He wanted to do that. He was talking he about the for who the giants. Yes, and he wanted to. He was talking about the Clemson guy this year. If he was going to get some uh, some interviews, or a job, yeah, exactly. So it sounds like he's fairly organized and a lot of stuff, but it's just the rub of the green sometimes, you know. And maybe he'll get an opportunity next year. It's definitely a redemption story for him because he was DC for one year in Denver, and they were not. He a good was really bad. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's weird. It's it's very weird. Our loss is our gain. Yeah, exactly. Okay, boys. So wrapping up the 2020 segment, one word to describe the 2020 Baltimore Ravens, and I will start on this one. I picked weathered. So it's a young team, young, cheap offense is kind of the the buzzword for spend. Uh, I think they got a ton of experience. Lamar Jackson learns what a season is like when the table is really not going to be set for him at all. Uh, They get a playoff win, you know, finish strong to 2020. They had COVID. They come back from it. They're pretty uh, a weathered, experienced team now, and they're set up pretty well to uh, surround Lamar with the right pieces. So I think they got some experience where they needed it. They need to bring in some more veterans still, obviously, but uh, I think weathered is the word for me. They're, they're a weathered team now. They're, they're ready to, I think, make some bigger noise. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely think they're, you know, everybody wanted the adversity after the long layoff and uh, losing to the Titans after the bye. Lamar hasn't played in three weeks, and they had the COVID situation, had their backs against the wall, had to win out, and they did, and handled business. That is one of the most underappreciated parts of this team is that they beat the living shit out of the teams that they're supposed to beat over and over and over again. So I uh, definitely think weather is a good way to put it after the adversity they had to go through, and I think it'll ca- I think it cause a lot of growth with these younger guys. So I like that one. You have one? Uh, I would go with pressured. I think they feel the pressure right now. Uh, Lamar is getting close to that extension. Mark Andrews and Orlando Brown, you've got them for one more year. You've got them cheap for one more year. Uh, they moved up a peg, but like you just mentioned, it goes with whether they had that adversity that they had to face. And I think it, they felt pressure all year long after that Chiefs loss. And then, you know, being at five and two again, and then and then losing, going what, one and three uh, they felt the pressure all year long, and I think Eric DaCosta is feeling the pressure. I think John Harbaugh is feeling the pressure. I think Greg Roman's feeling the pressure. I think Lamar Jackson's feeling the pressure, and he, in the LJ8 apparel line, loves the word pressure. That's all over all of the clothes that he has. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Apply pressure. So uh, I think pressured right now. The, the time is now. You've got the quarterback uh, cheap. You can probably avoid him getting pissy. This is the last year. He's going to get really pissy if he doesn't have an early extension by this time next year, I would think. So you can uh, sneak in one more year with those guys, make the tweaks. You won a playoff game. They were a lot closer somehow to playing this Sunday than it feels like. You know, in that third quarter, they were in a good position. Pick six, done. Uh, so without that, they're close, and they, they can feel, they can taste, they can smell it. They just need a little bit more. So I think everybody's feeling it. Voss, what do you got? Uh, bipolar is uh, is my answer here. Last in offensive spending, $34 million, Third in defensive spending with $93 million. They had a three-game losing streak, actually losing four to five. Then they went on a six-game winning streak. First in rushing attempts, 555. 32nd in passing attempts with 406. Um and then they finally, not only do they win the playoff game, but they overcome a double-digit deficit on offense, which is something that I've been very concerned about. KB, you asked me in the slack. I was uh, slack while driving, which I shouldn't do. But you said, what are you concerned about before the playoff game? And I said, overcoming a double-digit deficit. They were able to do that. And then the next week, three points on offense. So it was kind of, uh, like I said, bipolar. What you know, just really at odds in that way. Kyle Phoenix, what do you got? I will put wise 
as my word for the 2021 Ravens. Uh, it is going along in the lines of weathered and pressured. I think we all had a similar thought process there for uh, Jake Spenny and I. Um, wise is, uh, is a term of, of learning from your mistakes and uh, becoming understanding of prior conviction, prior faults, prior successes. I think wise, and I'm hope, I think also a part of it is hope and being hopeful that they have learned from said mistakes. And that's coming from the side that Voss has mentioned of, of being bipolar, that, you know, they need to learn and they need to grow from said mistakes. They need to learn and grow from said successes. And 2021 is kind of this unique make or break. You know, they've had a quote unquote make or break for the past few years, but this is truly the final one before the Lamar Jackson extension, as Voss mentioned, kind of comes to fruition. It's before the big money uh, hits in all these other phases. And overall, they need to be wise. They, they've had their shots these last few years. They've come up short in some areas. They've also come up successful. You know, I, I, I wrote about this on BaltimoreBeatdown.com saying this season was a little bit of a duality for the Baltimore Ravens, that they were both very successful and very strugglesome in other areas. And that's what's most frustrating. Because when you have a poor season like the Jaguars do or like the Jets do, you can admit it for what it is, and it's a failure of a season, and you can learn from it. When you have a successful season like the Kansas City Chiefs did, they can accept that for what it is. The Ravens are in a very frustrating uh, purgatory. They're in a very frustrating limbo of being very successful but also very uh, strugglesome. And overall, this is where you need to be wise, you need to be smart, you need to learn from your misgivings, you need to learn from your successes, and overall, make the plays and make the signings, make the moves necessary for success in 2021. There can be no true despair without hope. Um, (laughs) So uh, we got a couple more points here. We got our SWOT analysis and an attack plan. I figure we're running a little long, so we can kind of combine those two things. So moving into our SWOT analysis, which if anyone has never had the uh, despair of having to do one of them, it is a uh, analysis looking at uh, yourself or your team or whatever it might be through the lens of their strengths, their weaknesses, their opportunities, and their threats that they face. And I figure we can do this through the prism of looking at the coming 2021 offseason. So I figure we can basically go through, and pretty much we'll just each do one, and then we can discuss after, or each do all four of ours, and then we can discuss after. Uh, Voss, what is your uh, your SWOT analysis for the 2021 offseason? Sure. So for strengths, to me, it is the position of cornerback. Marlo, Jimmy, Marcus, Tavon, Averett, nobody in the entire league has a better five. That's a weekend, weekend, week out matchup advantage. You can do a lot of different things when you have cover corners, um, especially with Wink Martindale as your defensive coordinator. The weakness to me is the institutional philosophy. It's uh, it's just that the run game. I think they're putting too much emphasis on the run game on both sides of the ball. I really do. If you look at any analytical metric, passing is the the, the name of the game right now. Um, look at the final four teams in the playoffs: one, two, three, and five in pass DVOA. Three of the three of the four are below average in run defense. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that they are going to 
modernize that part, but I do think that is a a problem in the playoffs. Teams are seem to be able to shut down the run. The Ravens had 3.1 yards per carry, excluding scrambles, in Buffalo in a win game. And Buffalo had a 20, uh, 20% run, 80% pass split in the wind and still won the game. Um, opportunities to me is cap, cap space. <clears throat> Lamar only costs $3 million next year. That's a huge advantage. The Ravens are not as flush as they were before. Stanley and Humphrey signed their big deals. But 21 million is still the ninth most in the NFL, and the cap space is all relative. It, there's been years where the Ravens had 20 million, and people were excited on our Baltimore Beatdown webpage. And I said, well, 20 million isn't very much when the average is 35 million. Well, this year they have the ninth most. So if all the teams are broke, then all the players, not all the teams are broke, if most of the teams are broke, then most of the players are going to be cheaper than expected. As far as threats, Kansas City's a threat. You know, Kansas City Chiefs, explosive offense. That ball control, time of possession doesn't seem to work very well against them. You have to win a shootout. But the, the other threat is complacency. And when you hear John Harbaugh singing the praises of the regular season efficiency and not necessarily saying we need to do better in the playoffs, we need to maybe modify, I think that's another potential threat. 13 points per game in the playoffs over the last four games. That's a problem. Kyle, what do you got for your SWAT analysis? For my strengths, uh, I was going a little bit with Voss. Uh, I like that he mentioned defensive backs. I was worried that he was going to go first because he was going to take a fair amount of my stuff. So I'm going to try and hit a, uh, a little pinch hit here instead. And uh, instead of strengths being that way, I'm going to I'm going to revert to uh, defense as a whole, especially with Don Martindale returning. I think that is a huge success that somebody who's led this defense to being, you know, top three in points allowed over the last two years is returning yet again. That's a significant gain. That's a significant strength. The weakness, uh, we touched on it multiple times throughout here. I'm not going to go with the most easy one. I'm actually going to go with one that's, you know, right beside it. And that's going to be offensive line, interior offensive line to be more specific. While Ronnie Stanley will be returning, I think there's going to be a little bit of weakness there. He's not on the outside, of course, the tackle. But um, you don't have Marshall Yonda there to really salvage uh, any any failures or any weakness anymore. Um, we, we learned this this year for sure. Uh, and overall, there's Bradley Bozeman at left guard, who's, who's pretty good. But, you know, he's not great. Um, I like him at left guard. And uh, I think we argued about that enough. Center needs to be completely and totally figured out, whether that's drafting Creed Humphrey or finding somebody through free agency or something else. This team has not truly had a solid center since Matt Burke, which was 2012, 2013. That's a big, long time to not have a solid center uh, who can give you consistency and uh, great blocking year in and year out. Uh, at right guard, this team still feels clueless. It's only been one year. I don't want to say like still feels clueless, like it's been five years or so. But this team had a long time to try and figure out what they wanted to do once right guard ended when Marshall Yonda hung up those cleats. And it does not feel like they figured that out in time. Uh, and I think they were kind of banking on Yonda wanting to run it back 
a la uh, Raymond Bork, like uh, the Colorado Avalanche did after he played 21 years and wanted to retire. And they, they convinced him to go out for 22 years. Yes, I fit in a hockey reference here, you fucks. Welcome in. Strap into the barber show. And then he went to get a parade in Boston, even though he never wore a rig there. Hey, man. Fucking Raymond Bork's a beauty Ray Bork. He's a fucking <laughs> legend, dude. Fucking legend. Let's go, boys. Dirty water. Ryan Jensen was a solid center. I'll agree with that. I see chat showing up with that now. But um, overall, uh, you know, um, he's no longer with the with the Ravens for reasons because they out, he outperformed uh, anything. So, yeah, I was a little misguided in there. But I, I, I remember the Gino Gradkowski far more than I remember Ryan Jensen. And that's not exactly great because Jensen was quite a beauty with the Ravens, but unfortunately. I mean, they had, they had Zuta in the mix there too. It was like a solid Zuta starter for a couple of years. ranked 33 out of 32 for centers and got a Pro Bowl that year. Spencer, thank you so fucking much for that, that eyeball raise. Zuta was great for culture though. Zuta... <laughs> This was okay. Boss. Listen, I you know I was not deep in the analysis game at the time. Sue me. I'm gonna swing. I might not win. I might not win, but I'm gonna swing, bro. That's all there is to it. I was not writing for the site at the time. I was not deep into analysis. To not have any friends by the end of it, boys. Uh, but um, so that's for uh, my strengths and my weaknesses. Uh, opportunities. This team has a fantastic opportunity to uh, make the most of uh, what they have coming into 2021. They have a great team. They have Lamar Jackson at quarterback. They have some great, they have great parts at valuable positions all across it. Whether you're a guy that only exclusively cares about positional value, or if you're a guy that understands that production is still a valuable asset, even at the running back position. Uh, As for my last thing, the threats. Yes, there is still a threat that this team after multiple years of coming up short can still come up short because they are still driving the train that they need to run the football, that they still need to only give Lamar a certain amount of weapons that they don't need to make, you know, uh, attack a position with more ferocity to value them more than others because positional value absolutely does, uh, is necessary in the, uh, in the, in the structure of a franchise. I'm going to agree with that, buddy. Don't worry. I'm not completely against you as always. I'm, I'm riding that line that I always ride. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. But I think that's it for it. Uh, there's a lot of strengths. There's a lot of weaknesses. There's fewer weaknesses than strengths. This team has all the opportunity in the world. I preach a lot about, uh, about potential versus production. I'm a big P versus P guy. Potential versus production. This team has a lot of fucking potential. They've always had a lot of potential. We've seen it. We've seen a lot of production be created from that potential, but there's so much. There is an abundance of potential with this franchise, with these players, with this team. And I'm just so hungry for, as a lot of fans are, to see the potential arise in 2021. Spen, what do you got? Strengths, uh, premium position, Value, cornerback, left tackle, right tackle, quarterback. Uh, I really like Hollywood Brown, wide receiver. Uh, pass rusher is not great right now, but they'll figure something out. Uh, continuity being the second for me in system. Uh, it's nice being able to tweak instead of overload. Uh, there's always a couple teams every year that are able to bring in a new coach and uh, completely override and, and the system works, but it feels like so much more often you uh, change over and then you flip and flop and flounder. And 
Rajati always talks about wanting to follow the Steelers' method of continuity uh, as far as weaknesses. Wasted time, uh, uncertainty as a result of not getting the guy and the offense and now having to spend one of Lamar Jackson's cheap years. Uh, you basically, mm, I don't want to say wasted, they took a step forward, but you still have uncertainty because you didn't figure it out this year. Who is the receiver that you bring in? How do you make the offense consistent? Uh, you lost Yonda. You lost the Hall of Famer. You know, you didn't figure that out. So offensive uncertainty, uh, as far as opportunity, it is to get it right on offense and do it. Don't think about it. Just go pull the fucking trigger because the opportunity is to win a Super Bowl. The opportunity is to increase revenue substantially, then become consistent, draw more free agents, draw more fans, sell more tickets whenever the hell we're able, the Ravens are able to again and the NFL is able to again. Super Bowls make franchises stable over long periods of time. And you're now, you know, hopefully hopefully able to get four years in a row in the playoffs and make it to the dance again. You've got the premium positions, all that stuff. The opportunity is to make money, make money on offense and get it over with. It's, it's too much pitter patter uh, in that sense. And the threats are Lamar Jackson, not being a top five quarterback because you don't go solidify the offense and souring something that was so sweet a year ago and had so much promise and to watch him fall into this position of pressure and feeling like he has to shoulder so much after winning an MVP, which kind of, I guess after saying after winning an MVP, but after winning an MVP, not doing anything to, to further him, actually restricting him with the lack of investment in the offensive line, throwing lottery. I wrote a year ago, or I wrote before the season about how, you know, maybe they can effectively replace Yonda because they took so many lottery tickets. But then I thought about, I looked back at that and I thought, damn, you know, I've played the lottery a lot and I've never won. So maybe you want to go get a sure thing. Uh, go get the Hondo cord at right guard or center. And uh, just don't sour Lamar Jackson. Don't force him to feel like he has to run out of the pocket and make plays and drop his eyes and lose the mechanics that he works so hard in the offseason to improve on and stabilize and get his feet right. Because like I said, week one and the JT O'Sullivan videos have been a flurry. Apparently the God and King of football, JT O'Sullivan, he does make great videos and he has a lot of great points, but Jake, you mentioned earlier, he makes a video after that Cleveland week one game. Lamar was perfect. His feet were perfect. The rhythm was there. The timing was there. He was getting the ball at the top of his drop. And then to see that unravel due to lack of depth, lack of, Ability to, you know, secure his line and and who were who was he going to throw to? They can take Andrews out of the game so easily. Hollywood isn't a contested catch guy. It was really unsettling. Uh, I went back and watched that game again today, and it just felt like night and day from how he started the season against the Browns to to where his feet were, where his eyes were, the panic, the the lack of confidence in the system and the scheme, um, and you know. Maybe the Ravens end up firing Greg Roman halfway through this year. Uh, maybe that's what's needed. Maybe James Urban doesn't get a job and he ends up taking over the play calling and the offense takes off next year. Something like that happens. But I don't want there to be any excuses. 
And the threat is excuses. The threat is that is souring Lamar Jackson. You can't come out of next season having question marks still. You have to fucking know. If you want to give him an extension, you have to know what he is with everything given. Give him the world and let him prove, you know, I am the $300 billion quarterback. I am that guy because we still can't say with 100% certainty because we don't know if it's worth it to get the receiver, if it's worth it to spend the money on the line, all of these things because you didn't do it. So you can't waste and sour Lamar Jackson. This is the year you absolutely cannot come up short in the offseason. You cannot come up short. You have to be deep. You have to be talented. Give him everything so that you can properly, properly say, here is $220 million. If we did everything you needed. We got it. We don't have any questions left. So you're doing yourself a disservice by not giving him everything he needs to succeed. And like we mentioned, Flacco got Anquan Bolden. They had the tight ends. They had the line. They had all of those things. Josh Allen got digs. Everybody loves to talk about all that stuff. Now they're now they're about to throw Josh Allen $300 million because they got him digs. They got the line right. They have Beasley and John Brown, great, you know, role-playing receivers. They are going to throw him a bag and be happy about it. The fans are happy about it. There's no uncertainty. It's confidence. It sells tickets. Put asses in the seats. Do it. Don't sour Lamar Jackson expecting him to do everything again. Yeah, make it so, and that's really well said, make it so that there's no excuses for him. And in that sense, there are no excuses for Eric DaCosta this offseason, in my opinion, who I'm a fan of. I think he's done a tremendous job so far. He's had some misfires here and there, but uh, he's got a, a tremendous kind of opportunity in front of him. So jumping into mine, I think you've got like some looming losses at edge, but I feel like the defense is going to come back pretty strong regardless uh, this coming season. And the running back, the tight end room, it's good. I mean, the offense, I think, was neglected to an extent with the offensive line and the wide receiver, but you're returning some talent at tight end with Andrews. Hopefully Boyle gets healthy. Running back room is extremely strong, probably the best in the league. Uh, just looking at that two-headed monster there with Dobbins and Gus. So that's sort of where you look at the weakness, and I think like all that stuff kind of sets up the weakness with the passing offense, obviously, like you hit on. Just no professional, like, kind of anchor there at center, no solidifying force. And that's kind of goes to another weakness, which is there's not nearly enough, I think, veteran experience on the offense, which is something they need to address. And maybe they'll kill two birds with one stone with some of those acquisitions, which they're going to need to do because they, once again, you know, they did win a playoff game this year. I will give them 100% credit on that, but then they get into another one and uh, they go up against a defense that they kind of haven't seen the caliber of in several weeks. And it's like a deer in the headlight season, and there's nobody to calm anyone down. There's nobody to calm down Tyree Phillips, who's, you know, kind of losing his lunch a little bit. There's nobody to calm down Lamar, whose mechanics are slipping, and he's tightening up his base again, and he's doing all this kind of stuff that gets him into trouble at times. So you need to bring in help a pass catcher. You need to bring in help on the offensive line, and you need to get some veterans. Those are your weaknesses. And I think the opportunity moving into that is there for them. I think the table is set to shore up the offense. The table is set to complete or create as complete a Ravens team as we've seen in a very long time. And I think DaCosta, like for as much as he did miscalculate coming into this season, I think he's a smart guy to the point that he's not going to make that uh, same mistake twice. And he has the opportunity to do it. You've got some limited cap space, which may be a threat and some limited draft picks. The cap space isn't as big a deal as people are saying, but six draft picks, I believe, you know, that's not what they're typically used to, but that's just sort of the rub of the green when you go in and acquire a guy like Ngakwe and some of the, uh, 
acquisitions that they've made in the draft over the past couple of years. But yeah, I mean, you have a unique opportunity this offseason to go and do all the stuff that I'm talking about and that Spencer just hit on there. And then threats. Voss, you mentioned the Chiefs. Obviously, they're the number one threat in the AFC. I think threat, though, like you look at this division and it's not getting any weaker. You know, you got Cleveland was a very strong team this year. I think they're going to shore up their defense to be strong again. I expect Cincinnati to be a, a competitive sort of 500 type team who maybe is going to have a chance to steal a game from you next season. So they're going to be tough. And who knows what happens with Pittsburgh? I mean, Big Ben, that that whole thing, it, it kind of makes me laugh. But he, you know, he, he got it done at times this season. We'll see what happens with them. And obviously making the massive move to go and acquire Dwayne Haskins has me shaking in my boots there. So. Obviously, uh, there, there are some uh, some threats within the division. The threat without the division is obviously the Kansas City Chiefs. But like we've all laid out here, the opportunity uh, to go and knock them off their throne is now. Go all in. No excuses for anyone. Ain't wasting no time no more, as the Allman Brothers would say. And uh, I think that leads us into our final segment here of our offsite, which I think has been a rollicking success. And that is your word for the 2021 Ravens. 20, 2021 is going to be the year of blank. Voss, what do you got? Well, we, do you skip the off-season uh, plan? Or I was supposed to fold that in. Damn it. I have all yeah, this. no, we just, we were like folding them in. But you can, if you want to, go for it. Voss, well, it, fold it in. You got this. Go I'm for gonna, it. Go for I'm going to pound the table for Judon because I think he's a cornerstone player at this point. And he has the leadership, the versatility, the workload. I think if you keep one of the other two, you still need another edge. If you keep you down, you don't need another edge. Um, and I really think that the Ravens, you need to get a receiver. It doesn't have to be the A-plus guy, but it's got to be a B-plus guy. And offensive line, as you said. But I think they need to go all in. Go all in. Go all in. Everyone says stability. Not everybody, but stay the course and – you know, get in the divisional round every year and you'll hit a Maha miracle once in a while. There's virtue to the other course too. The Ravens, after their first Super Bowl, went all in, had to blow it up, cut seven starters, won seven games the next year, and then the following year after that, won the division. So they can rebuild it. And I think this is the time to maybe look at some contracts. Can you extend Marcus Peters? Can you can you uh, convert Marlon Humphrey and Ronnie Stanley's uh, base salary into bonus to create some cap space because I think they should go all in. But the one word I would say for the coming season is judgment because I think we're going to know one way or another. And judgment doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. It could be a, a great thing. And that John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson – and the system is successful or it's not. I like it. Kyle, what is your one word for 2021? Okay, so clearly I miscalculated and thought that when you asked the 2020 word for the Ravens, I was thinking 2021. That's why I said why is that they learned so much from the 2020 and 2019 season. That works. I mean, so, just uh, do you have one off the top of your head that you could bring for 2021 or should we come back to you? For 2021, hopeful, hopeful. Um, that was kind of playing off of what I said with the 2020 season. Uh, I'm hopeful that they have learned from their misgivings, from their misguidings, and from their successes and failures. I am ready for them to make the most of it um, for the upcoming season. And uh, that's kind of all there is to it. I'm very appreciative of Voss's term, judgment, because like I wrote, 
Um, it's really frustrating for a fan base when you have many successes and many failures, which puts you in limbo, which puts you in purgatory, which put you uh, both right when you're arguing for the failures and for the successes of a team. It's really aggravating to do so. So I'm very happy that Voss had mentioned judgment because you're going to you're gonna find out whether or not the Eric DaCosta plan for the first few years is going to be a success or a failure when, uh, when the end of the 2021 season comes about. You're going to figure it out. Um, but I'm hopeful is where I'm at. I, uh, I try to be the optimist. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a realist, but I really try to be positive and, and uh, it's exhausting to be negative. So uh, I'm going to be on the positive side of this uh, overall. As for their off-season plan, um, Voss mentions the signing of Matt Judon, and I'm not certain that I'm on the same side of that argument. Um, I'm uncertain if uh, you can land Bowser plus Yannick Ngakwe for a fair price, um, it'll probably be at about 125% of the cost that you can get Judon for. That's something that probably Voss and I will have to uh, combat in the Slack chat first and maybe make an article out of it. So, um, real quick, KB, Judon yeah. outproduced both of them combined in pass rushing, just for the record. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, we'll pull up stats and we'll argue about this and we'll discuss it. I'm, uh, I'm actually looking forward. I think uh, we'll talk about this next week when we have uh, ideas for articles coming up on the website and stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to that smile that you got on your face right now. And, uh, and uh, we'll figure it out. We got to get but, you to a debate show. We got to get you every week, first take, like you're I've screaming at so each other, wearing suits and ties. I've been, I've been so fucking down in the dumps this last semester. That like this is this is where my natural habitat is. It's not exhaustingly stressed and anxious over everything else in my life, but like being able to be back in football. Like that's what happens with a senior year of college. Let's be real here. But damn it, it hit at the very wrong time in the midst of a pandemic and quite a political uh, undertaking that's been going on. Um, that I was uh, pretty racked nervously about. So uh, so I think I was just a little bit shaken up by uh, all the other outside elements instead of football in my life that. Uh, that I just couldn't perform to expectation here. Like the Ravens couldn't perform in uh, the divisional round the last two seasons anyways. But overall, uh, I'm hopeful. I think uh, Yannick Ngakwe plus Bowser would be a great addition for this team if they could land both of them for a reasonable price tag. Uh, unfortunately, the cap, like uh, we've mentioned multiple times, is very cheap. There's worries that it drops all the way down to $175 million. I don't think it's going to go that low. I think that'd be preposterous to go absolutely that low. Like but teams the fact that it's mentioned is still spooky in itself. You know, that they're saying, hey, there's a possibility it could be this low. Like, they wouldn't say that unless it was it was going to be a little bit of a painstaking number that it's about to arrive at. Who can manipulate the capital and the Ravens, you know? I mean, the Saints and the Rams have done a pretty damn good job of it. But I digress. I understand your point. Overall, I'm confident in these two t- in the, in those two players. Uh, Bowser is one of the most prolific, uh, you know, uh, coverage linebackers that have come out out of outside linebacker of recent years, especially for the Ravens. They've utilized him as the uh, Swiss Army knife that they were hoping Judon would be, and Judon is still very talented in pass rushing and run defense and even coverage to some degree. But the the production from Bowser in the in the coverage game has been significant enough that I really like him and that I, re- I really grew onto me because I was really upset that he wasn't getting the production done in the pass rushing game uh, and that I've wrote about him for multiple years now since he was a rookie. I've wrote about him always trying to hype him up because I see it in training camp every fucking year that he's going to be the guy. He looks he scores so like six touchdowns a year in training camp. He scored. Yeah, exactly. He, he scores like, at least scores two to six touchdowns. Defensive touchdowns every year. He gets a pick. The number one best athlete on the team, in my opinion. 
Oh, yeah, no. he's he's a freak. Best athlete on the entire team, except for Sam Cooke. But Tyus, yeah, Bowser, Tyus Bowser's size, skill, speed, agility, all of it combined. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think that's fair to fair to argue. Uh, but I think those two players uh, need to be discussed. I like Ngakwe for his pass rush more than I like Judon for his pass rush. I like Bowser more for his coverage than I like Judon for his coverage. And it's and it's. Do you want the one guy that can do two things talented? Or do you want one guy each that does one thing significant? And I think that's a thing that the Belichick argument goes upon, that Belichick finds these guys that are talented in one thing and they're great at it, and he utilizes them exactly in those in those roles. That's what he did with like Jamie Collins. That's what he's done with certain coverage players. That's what he's done with, you know, Dante Hightower as a linebacker all those years. Um, but overall, uh, those are my kind of off-season plans. Um, other than the the blatantly off is that you got to fucking figure out the wide receiver position before it buries this team for the third straight year in a row with Lamar Jackson. I can't stand to see it happen again. Overall, proud with what the Ravens did with cutting Earl Thomas, landing Deshaun Elliott, and Deshaun Elliott becoming a uh, a talented starter in the NFL. Happy with the secondary. Happy with the defense as a whole. And uh, overall, I'm ready to see this offense go to work. And uh, I'm excited to see what. Eric DaCosta can do with the few pieces that he has, with the draft capital he has, maybe he lands somebody a little bit more significant in the NFL draft. Uh, overall, uh, I'm hopeful for the 2021 season. Spaneth Powers, what is the year of 2021 going to be the year of? I'm going to say the word, but I'm going to follow it up with, uh, with two words. Aggression is what it needs to be. It needs to be aggressive on the field and in the front office. They need to be trigger happy. Pull the trigger for the DeAndre Hopkins type deal. Pull the trigger for uh, trading up in the draft using the 2022 first round pick. Pull the trigger. Lamar Jackson on the football field. Fucking send the deep ball. When you see it, let it fly. Be trigger happy. So basically, he's just got to fully send it. Send it. Full send. Send it. Let it fly. Rip it. Sip it. You know, all kinds of different expletives almost just started rambling off but you have to be aggressive this year you can't be reserved you can't seek the stability model right now you've done a great job so far eric costa not not going all in before you were ready but at this point go get fucking kyle pitts go trade up and get someone dynamic go get jamar chase Go be aggressive and give a kind of stupid deal to an offensive lineman that maybe only works out for a year and a half or two because you really need to be successful right now. You have, and again, Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews, you have them for cheap. One more year. Those are two key pieces of your offense. You already spent a shitload on Ronnie Stanley, which I love that deal. I think it's a very friendly deal, to be honest, and is tons of bonus structure, whatever. But be aggressive on the field. Be aggressive defensively. Patrick Queen, pull the trigger. Click and close. Don't sit flat-footed. Don't let the Titans run down your throat. Go stomp on the logo. Go be bullies. Be trigger-happy. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Shooters, shoot. Don't stop. Eric DaCosta, shoot. Lamar Jackson, shoot. Take your shot. Hit Hollywood Brown. Let him go make a play. Throw picks. This careful, meticulous stuff has worked and has gotten him into a good place, but now it's time to overload and go all in. You can't, like... Go all in, but you're not hurting yourselves that badly. If you don't have a draft pick in 2022 in the first round, that's not hurting you. You know, some draft picks don't pan out, and some of them don't make quality impacts as a rookie. Like, would the Ravens have survived without Patrick Queen this year? Yes, they would have. 
they would have been okay if Malik Harrison took another 200 snaps, Chris Board took another 200 snaps, and LJ Fort took another 150 snaps. They would have been okay. I love Patrick Queen, but the rookie isn't the driving force. Stop being so scared of these first-round picks you draft at the back end of the first round anyway, hopefully. So get rid of that pick. Sign the free agent. Make the trade. Make the phone call. Throw the fucking bomb. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, my my word, 2021 for the Ravens is the year of prioritization. And I think that's a good word to kind of join together with it. Prioritize being aggressive. Prioritize the right things. Prioritize the offense. Prioritize the offensive line. Don't keep running these jabronis out there like Skura, like Makari, who, you know, we love Patrick, friend of the show and everything. But he like it's not on him that they're running him out there and they're relying on him to you know, I mean, obviously you need to be able to snap the football, but he's being put in a tough spot there. Don't rely on these guys. Prioritize, you know, the offensive line. Prioritize bringing in veterans. Prioritize pass catching. Prioritize finding starters that are going to be able to help you push you over the top and do what you need to do to get there. This is an organization that is not known for sitting on its hands, that's not known for just following the status quo, that is known for being at the cutting edge of things, going all the way back to Ozzy with finding the cutting edge with the compensatory picks in the early 2000s franchises have caught up a little bit to that kind of stuff find that winning edge find that thing is going to push you over the edge in 2021 prioritize the right things that is my word that's just stunned silence people loved it so much that you know there's there's nothing further on it no you're the one that hosts the show man we're uh we're usually looking for you to guidance guide us and uh when you drop the bomb on us, uh, we don't know what to do then because you're the one that's supposed to guide us. Sometimes you're I like the uh, – That's it. Yeah, that's actually – that's kind of a good comparison. I like that a lot. I kind of like to lay out a little bit, sort of let uh, let things play out in front of me, and I'm just kind of the the wise old the wise old man in the corner of the room here, which you – know, One thing I want to add on Cap – I'm the youngest uh, man here, but you know. The one thing I want to add on Cap is that the, the $175 million figure – I believe was a doomsday scenario where that's the floor because they were anticipating maybe the season being canceled, TV revenue going down, all this revenue going down. Uh, TV revenue was up, 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 up because of the pandemic. And you don't make that much money off of ticket sales and crap and, and it saves you costs. And I've, we've talked about that before, but uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong here. I'm not a cap guy. I don't know all of the ins and outs, but no, I just can't imagine trying to put nine to thirteen teams in the red, and that being good for the league. It's not going to happen. Like, it's- what was the guy uh, Florio put a report? One ninety-five potentially. That's before adding revenue for the seventeenth game. That's before the league allows them to borrow against future caps. I mean, they're and not going to when you uh, when you owe be like do whatever you need to do when you owe when you with the NFLPA and negotiate it out. We're probably going to be up close to two by the time at the end of the day, two hundred million. Because it usually jumps ten million every year, so maybe just oh, don't no. jump ten million. When yeah, you owe, just, when you owe a billion dollars, golden at that point. When you owe a billion dollars, the bank owns you. When you owe twenty billion dollars, you owe the bank. Own the bank. <laughs> Not that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I live my life. You know, it's just you know that freewheeling mindset. But yeah, you guys are right. There's no way there's going to be like any constrictions, and I think they're probably going to maybe make some concessions if they have to, because like guys are going to want to get paid and like players have more leverage right now than they ever have. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be an interesting off season. The, from the, the PA doesn't want a bunch of guys signing one year deals and getting hurt. Exactly. Like, 
Right. Especially with this this wide receiver bubble that we've seen building up, it's not going to pop like that. It's going to pop in much more spectacular, fun fashion. But we'll we'll see what Ravens happens. Ravens will sign T.Y. Hilton and draft an edge rusher, and that'll be that. And we'll have Voss on here to just like scream. No, they're gonna, I thought uh, they're getting uh, what's the guy from Bama, the tailback, uh, Najee Harris. Oh, Harris, yeah. Najee Harris in the first round. first round, yeah. Woo! And then is there any? Are there any run-stuffing D tackles available in the center? You got to think that if there are, that Ozzy is just going to hijack the room from uh, DeCosta and just like he's addicted to picking like tight ends and set and D tackles, so he's just going to like grab one of them. They take but, Pitts and Fryermuth, one and two. I'll, I'll take Pitts. I'll take Pitts any day of the <laughs> fucking Pitts week. Pitts is like a slower Calvin Johnson. That's yeah. my comparison for you Pitts. Just package you, you the first, package time. next year's first, package a second. Package two thirds. There's just got to be a Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle or Jamar Chase. Shoot your gun, baby. Fucking go. Shoot your gun. If not now, then when? Can you afford, can the Ravens afford to go eight and eight next year? Like, Harbaugh might be fucking out if that happens. DaCosta might look like a moron. Like, if you go eight and eight next year and there's anything other than Lamar Jackson getting hurt, the fucking ship has sailed. Roman's fired. Harbaugh might be fired. Bashadi's pissed. You wasted this window. You were supposed to win a Super Bowl by then, or at least look really damn close to it. It got kind of close. So I just don't think they can sit on their hands again. I don't think Guys, you can not go trade for DeAndre Hopkins. If you're if you make a phone call and there's some talk of, you know, a single first round pick for a Hall of Fame receiver in their late twenties, then Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. Well, I mean, I would be happy if they got Michael Thomas. I would like I would that. Be- Guys, guys, you're overlooking the most obvious point, and that's to get Terrell Suggs out of retirement or the non-retirement he is. Anquan Bolden, you know, see what Ed Reed's got left in the tank at free safety. You know, just listen to Twitter and Facebook comments. It's super easy. They've got it figured out. I don't see why we're, you know, maybe just get Joe Flacco instead for the playoffs after you have Lamar Jackson in for the regular season. KB, can they fit Anquan Bolden under the cap, though. That's the question. You know, he was worth only he was only worth a seventh round. You can flip him for a six round pick and a fucking bag of McNuggets. So I mean, you know, (laughs) when you trade it to your brother, it goes at a discount. That's an NFL PA rule. It's in the book, dude. John and Jim figured it out. They saw it. Belichick. This is the one time Belichick didn't trade to uh to a relative because he didn't know about that book and the you know the rule in the rule book. So that's uh, that's all there is to it. But. I, I agree with your actual points. I just had to meme a little bit here. Uh, I like Spenny's point of, you know, this team can't afford to go eight and eight. You got to go all in. If you're going to go all in, shoot your shot, fire the rifle, do whatever you got to do, make the plays, make the moves, whether that's quarterback, running back, GM, or owner, figure it the fuck out because 2021 is the year, boys. And it's unfortunate because they got rid of RG3, who could have come up with a tremendous slogan for a year that could use one. So. <laughs> That's, that's you know, tough. At any given moment, he could post on Instagram a photoshopped lion on top of his head saying, never give up the pride. It's it's just too bad that they let him go. And he's posting like these polls on his stories, like, is weed a drug? <laughs> like, do you think that God is real? Like, all that kind of good stuff. But all right, boys. Well, we're coming up close. Kyrie Irving with braids. Yeah, essentially. So we're coming close to two hours here. I think that is uh, going to be our limit for the night. As far as the off-site pod goes, I think it was a rollicking success. I had a lot of fun. Did you guys have fun? That was a 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We're all, we're all in agreement. Right through the uprights. We're all completely in agreement. I think uh, we need to clip this and send it to DaCosta. We'll be good. Yeah, clip okay. it and ship it to the NFL, boys. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I like it. Shia LaBeouf. Do it. Just do it. 
So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I I'm glad you guys had fun. It was great getting together here for the the four man weave, uh, the old uh, the old full house. I think we need to do this more often, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. So I appreciate you guys giving me your time hopping on here to do our little offsite pod. I think we're gonna have to make this a tradition. But uh, until then, and until next time, appreciate all of you fine listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard and you are not already, be please go ahead and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. If you are on Apple, leave us that five-star review uh, and rating. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and mash that subscribe button. I've got a little bit of content in the works. It's going to be rolling out on YouTube. Uh, more on that later. Uh, and follow us all on social media. You can follow the show's Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can follow the main account at Be More Beatdown. You can find me at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. Spencer is at Ravens 4 Dummies. That's the number four. Kyle, where can they find you? My Twitter account is at BB underscore Kyle P Barber. Uh, where you can more find me is uh, actually at twitch.tv slash Baltimore Beatdown. I've been live streaming four nights a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, covering all sorts of Ravens topics. If you have questions, if you have uh, any comments concerning the Baltimore Ravens, I've been responding to them on live streams four nights a week and uh, hanging out there, making some content, uh, more about just interacting with fans on a more personal basis. So definitely join me on twitch.tv slash Baltimore Beatdown. What about you, Voss? At Vasilis Beatdown on Twitter, V-A-S-I-L-I-S Beatdown. And uh, off-season is my favorite time of year, so I'll be uh, quite active on social media. Yep, it's uh, just getting started here. We're uh, getting the content going, and it's going to be going strong. I think we are set to have our best year yet as a website, and I can't wait to embark on it with you boys and everyone here listening. To everyone listening, thank you again. You guys have yourselves a great weekend, and we will talk to you again on Monday. Arriva Derchi. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>